hang me, oh hang me. It's Colby Brothers, brothers. Clearly, we did not. We didn't plan any of that, and that's that also bit. not the first line. <laughs> Who's that? What are we talking about? What's going uh, oh, on? Oh, shit. It's I didn't even Coen see that there was all these people Brothers, here. Holy shit. Which is a shit. show. Well, yeah. welcome to the Cohen Brothers Brothers. Mm-hmm. I'm one That's of the not, brothers. Were you referring to the audience? Are you imagining Yeah, yeah I'm referring now? to the audience because it's like we're, we're in a show oh, okay. and we're like presenting to an audience. This is getting I all guess. too meta for them. I can already see them shuffling and leaving, so we should probably get to it. Well, I hate to shatter the reality, but I'm in San Francisco and you're in Los Angeles. So what? I don't. What? They got to start hitching. What do you North mean? and south. Northbound, southbound. I'm Abe Epperson. Who are you? Michael Swaim. And we're the Coen Brothers Brothers. This is a show where we take a deep dive into the films of the Coen Brothers uh, in chronological order and uh, through three separate spectra diegesis, pedagogy, and howdy do that. And more on that. Later, but first we should say, speaking of chronology, Mm. we're close to the end of this one, at least for the time being, um, because we already covered Buster Scruggs because it came out in the midst of the show's run, so that seemed appropriate and we were too excited. And after this, it's just Hail Caesar, unless you Mm -hmm. count stuff like Suburbicon, which we don't. (laughs) Which we don't. Uh, It's got to be written and directed by the Coen brothers. And we like to... Ideally, they should be on set and be like the primary creative power on set. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we already said it's going to be this one. I don't know why I'm being so suspenseful. Inside Lewin Davis mm-hmm. is penultimate. And the next episode, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that next episode. But it's appropriate that uh, on our show Frame Rate, where we rate frames, we recently released our Mighty Wind episode. It's like folk month here on Small Beans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love it. I don't hear I the enthusiasm it. in your voice, Abe. No, I'm just I'm in do awe you love, of your singular purpose here. I do love, love it. Folk. And love folk. And not only that, uh, I've watched this movie like twice in the last week. Uh, this oh, is nice. one of my favorite Coen Brothers movie now. So my enthusiasm is at an all-time high. Do you think part of that is that like a catchy pop song, the ending's identical to the beginning, so you could theoretically listen to it on repeat slash watch it on repeat because it never ends. It just links around, my that's, friend. That is funny. That is good. I think Some that's a nice Some people started touch. watching it not knowing what it was, and they'll continue watching it forever. Yeah, just it just and keeps so looping, and they're like, why won't this movie stop? Uh, it's going to loop you. It's going to loop you real bad. <laughs> it's uh, No, it's... Uh, I think it's because it's, um, I don't know why it didn't resonate with me so much when it first came out, which is 2013, which is Mm -hmm. not that long ago, you know, that was, you know, six years ago. Uh, Six years. But it was, um, I think that Grief is like my, not my favorite, but this (laughs) is their Grief film. (laughs) But I think it's one of the more, there's something about Grief as a human emotion. It's like so multifaceted for everyone, right? Uh, and it's one of my favorite things to dissect in storytelling because I and I gravitate to it and I'm drawn to it because I feel out of sorts with it. Like I don't know how I'll react, and I don't think mm-hmm. anyone truly knows how they react when they're in grief. And I know when I'm sad or I'm mad or I find joy in things. These are human emotions that I can do 
and 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 things feel. a robot says yes. twelve thousand dollars. But, but uh, I am mad. These are human there, emotions. But there's something about grief that's ineffable in the way that it can like you can have all those kind of yeah. going on. And uh, oh it's yeah, grief chaos. is very very different for every person and every situation. Yeah, it's unpredictable and, times. Yeah. So it really hit me home. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because I've had a lot of grief in my last six years of life. But it just beca- this film just became not just the symbology of things, which we're going to get into later. Uh, it's a severely dense, dense film, even for the Coen brothers. But it's also uh, about a topic that I think is very applicable to my life. But do you think, think it's about a lot of grief? People, I do. Oh, I think it's about okay. a lot of things, but I think it's uh, theme. Its main theme is the how up human dissects and discovers how grief affects them, and therefore oh, that's how fun. they change. Yeah, because that's not what I think. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, it's always that's always fun. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Diegesis? What's the first? Or did one? you want to say your piece? I don't. No, no, no. My piece will get whipped out repeatedly throughout the process all right you consented when you clicked the link um i had a little i had a little bitty question for you but it slipped my mind so it'll just come up i'm sure organically throughout the process because you want to just go into diegesis oh oh i guess i was gonna give that's all that's all i was gonna give where i stand as far as favorite versus applicable because uh, as I believe I said uh, two episodes ago, Serious Man is my favorite um, because it tickles me in an intellectual way, the complexity and the structuralism of it and the games they're playing with structure. And uh, so I still give it to that as far as favorite from like a hmm, a film analysis watching it. I deem that the best of films. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But uh this is the one that it's interesting because I'll still fight that it's not solely about grief at least, but um, it's, it just through happenstance is the most applicable to my life and life path. A very like specifically applicable. It feels like it was a movie <laughs> written for me yeah. and you're very similar to me. And we always talk about how we have same brain. So like that makes sense that you feel that as well. Yeah, it's yeah. too resonant. It's it's upsetting, but um, like I feel like being outside of the Jewish faith. Uh, I that's what's will, upsetting. I just I want to end always so bad. Feel uh, there's even though I see all of the things at play, there will be a sense of removal of this nostalgia that uh, you know one might. Oh, get you mean serious man? For serious is man, in Judaism. Yeah, yeah, and this one, I've written folk songs. <laughs> I'm a musician. Uh, I'm an artist. So <laughs> it like, feels a little bit I like, party. yeah, yeah, that is me. Uh, so I don't know. There's something to say to that, I think. Definitely. So let's start saying it. Mm-hmm. Spinning that big old wheel, but it always lands exactly oh. where we want on the spectrum we call diegesis, which is where we quickly go through without trying with inten- well intentionally trying to not digress into deep philosophical insights because we like to save that that's like the fruit at the bottom of the yogurt mm, so um, we kind of want to get through this but there's so sometimes much sometimes you this. need well sometimes you have to unpack to make things make sense so it's sloppy yeah, your sloppy spectra sloppy. much We're like sloppy. a prismatic spectrum itself mm. uh, they bleed 
So, but trying to basically talk about things that concretely happen in the movie, what the movie's about. And you know what? Even if you've seen the movie, you end up finding little treats along the way. So we generally go through the plot. This time, how would you rate it complexity-wise? True grit being simple to explain and burn after reading being very time-consuming to explain. Um, I mean... It depends. On, I, I think that this one is so dense. So the burn after reading one, oh, but it is dense. Okay. like we have to, I think it's so dense that we have to pick what we want to talk about for the next well, hour and a half. It's just interesting. Cause the spectra tip, it's like, like a movie like Hudsucker mm. takes a medium length of time to explain, but it's all diegesis. And then a movie like serious man is like pedagogy. Thick yeah. with pedagogy, fraught Thick. with pedagogy. Yeah. And I think this one's somewhere in the middle. It kind of hits on both. The plot is medium complex and and there's a lot to unpack. Yeah, because so, the, the plot is like, it, the plot is like Amblin. It's just a guy f- going through his life in, you know, uh-huh. New York most of the time. Uh-huh. That is what happens. God damn it. He I finds... just want to skip to pedagogy. Okay, never mind, never mind. Yeah, but it, there's so much more because the scenes and the way sure. that people talk, that's the dense stuff. So that's where we're really, you're going to see us suffer because we're going to be like, and then the cat appears, and we're going to have to hold. That's so, the thing is the basic plot points. I mean, I can do it right now in one sentence. Yeah, right. A struggling folk singer decides to make a last-ditch effort by traveling to a renowned producer and auditioning for him doesn't get the gig, gives up on music, the end. And it um, says nothing about abortion. It says nothing about cat. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. That's the thing is because every single mundane action he takes in every scene is philosophically interesting, uh, that is that ain't the half of his sister. Because it's like, you're like, okay, but let's really get into it. In this scene, he moves the glass of water to the left. And what do you think that means? <laughs> so, right, sure. so we better get going. But another notable thing about it is uh, there's some overlap with Oh Brother. Because it is musically driven. Not to the same degree. But it shows a deep appreciation of curating folk and celebrating folk music and uh and i would say it's built around like a few centerpiece folks performances not just that man hmm. uh i i had a breakthrough researching and uh watching this uh it's also loosely based off the odyssey though not the one that you're thinking oh, of really because that's i didn't find that online i realized that this time it's that was uh, we can't talk about it till later i know fuck I you no we'll talk about it later it's james joyce i had, I had to say it's, it i had to say it no but we can't uh unpack it yet yeah okay um, let's go because the people some people who haven't seen it don't even know what the fuck we're talking about no. what the folk we're talking about <laughs> um way as we alluded to, to it ends where it began which you don't realize at first and this is another just like, this counts as diegesis, I think, but it is yeah, something it I only realized this time. Is So the last image is him getting off stage and getting beaten up in an alleyway by a shadowy figure. And uh, when the movie ends, we see that same scene again. Well, here's what I'm saying. The second scene in the film chronologically is him going to his friend's house to crash uh, the apartment of the gold finds, I think. And he leaves a note 
or or maybe it's the Gore maybe fiends. it's yeah it's the Gorfiends. okay he leaves a note that's like i was a sorry mess last night you know thanks for taking me in and i just realized that once you realize that scene actually takes place in the future relative to the second scene yeah that implies some other huge catastrophe so this will build towards also the schrodinger's cat analogy runs mm. deep in this mm. um there is there is an unseen catastrophe that occurred in his life before the events of the film that we're not even privy to that can be whatever you imagine it to be. Yeah. <laughs> like, why was he on the Gorfiend's couch? Another really? way of saying it is that it, the it's a cyclic film because and it starts on episode or it starts on chat like the third scene. Immediately. And res. that and that third scene starts like the next morning. Uh, that that could be any morning because his life is in kind of a downward spiral, mm-hmm. but at the same time cyclic because it's re- orbiting mm-hmm. around the same events. Like he gets a little too drunk, mm-hmm. uh, you know. He he yeah. doesn't have a place to sleep, so he sleeps at his like last ditch effort, which are the Gorfiends, who are just his last port at storm. Like they'll always take him in. So that's you know when he's burned all other bridges, that's where he'll sleep. So it's got that feeling. But the first two scenes where he sings "Hang Me, Oh Hang Me," and then <clears throat> a man hits him in an alley that is actually events that you're supposed to also simultaneously believe are at the end of the film um, yes and much like james joyce's finnegan's wake because that mm-hmm. ends in the middle of a sentence that loops back to the beginning of the book which starts mid-sentence mm-hmm. it's very it's the same structure uh it's so good so mm-hmm. uh i also think we should just point out before moving on that like he's not lived up to this expectation but if you remember seeing this in theaters, I thought Oscar Isaacs was the next everything to me. Like, I yeah, this was in was, an age where he, he wasn't was it. He wasn't who he is now, which um, is Star Wars. He and... still turns in great performances, but I don't care about Star Wars, and I don't care about right. a lot of the stuff. But he's he does. not like a household yeah. name like he is now, and getting all the jobs. He wasn't an A-lister, uh, right? I mean, he's still working on great stuff. I mean, we just yes. said like 2017, our favorite films was Annihilation. Too. You know, like he. Yeah. He's still in great films. I'm not saying anything like that. Like he's transformed. He's transformed into a uh, sellout or anything like. But no, I just thought he was going to be in my movie. new uh, Gyllenhaal, and he's not yeah, in he terms of selection ones. of films. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the reason I say that is, he learned to play guitar for this film. Uh, obviously, the songs. It's hard, it's unclear whether they're implying. I think they're implying he wrote them in this universe, like they're originals. Because or does Lewin Davis only do covers? Because that would really change the nature of its treatise on how talented he is. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I but think technically it's very all clear. these songs exist. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of these songs exist. A lot. They of predate them are the movie. Peter like Paul Hank, Mary, yeah. uh, who's a figure, uh, symbolic figure, will you know get to more in depth well and hang me oh hang me is dave van ronk who has an album cover that looks exactly that's like the inside exactly so that's yeah. that's he there are covers of songs but it's kind of loosely based kind of like um it they're just so fucking protean the cohen brothers they it's so connect everything's so connected because what they do is one second it's like trying to catch smoke or a cat it, you know it's like they they move in and out of their uh, symbolism in a way that it's not like, okay, I understand. So you're doing a one-to-one parallel 
Davon Gronk is Llewellyn Davis. No. No, not, yes and no. Yes, yeah. it's his song. Yes, it's his uh, title. Yes, he did pass on a Peter, Paul, and Mary uh, audition because he thought that he was selling out or something like that. But And he is considered poor man's Bob Dylan, yeah. But Llewellyn is in his own film. It's a closed system. You're not right. supposed to see that. He, they're just now, loosely taking those saying like it's based off a true story, kind of like they did in Fargo. I hate to do this to you on the air, but... I, I need to correct a common Coen Brothers fan mistake. This mm. is Lewin. You said Llewellyn. That's Llewellyn so, Moss from No Country. Yeah, I do that. I often. do it constantly. Uh, Lewin. I I got. You're right. It's Lewin. It's Lewin. I know because I have a cat named Lewin Davis, so mm-hmm, it got drilled mm-hmm. into me. Um, so we should progress past the first scene. Um, the ne- he, so the next morning, yeah. after clearly have drank, drank the previous night, he wakes to find himself in a large apartment. It's a Gorfine's apartment. He makes himself breakfast and sees his old record with Tim Lynn, who's uh, his... Mike. Uh, Mike, his deceased bandmate, who killed himself yeah. before the events of the film. His bandmate jumped off the mm-hmm. some bridge that's not the Golden Gate because Goodman mocks him for it. Yeah. So he's making himself at home, but as he exits and gets ready for the day, as he's exiting, the short-haired t- orange tabby cat runs out the door and he realizes he's locked them both out. So he grabs the cat and kind of tries to give him to the elevator man, but the elevator man keeps saying, I have to run the elevator. <laughs> yeah, he's Dracula. Yeah, he's Dracula. Uh, so he calls Mitch, who's the, you know, uh, man of the house leaves a message uh, that he has their cat. Takes subway with the cat. Mm. The music is fairly well. Great um, song. This is just, all the songs are yeah, great. Great song. That's a that's. He arrives in a new apartment. Nobody's home. So you just like you're not even. No one seems to be. He seems to be in a world of his own, and he can. Well, yeah, you know, just travel he through. He has the classic sixties Greenwich yeah. Village lifestyle, where he's constantly couch surfing and has every right. artist is a com- comrade, etc. He's even let in through the fire escape, yeah. which he asks, like, the doorman, can he just let me through the fire escape? And he's like, yeah, no problem. Like, he's not, no one thinks that he's going to rob the place right. or anything like that. Everyone trusts him and knows him. So it's got this old town folk feeling where everyone knows each so other. So he leaves the cat uh, in this apartment that you mm-hmm. don't know whose it is. But it's And secure. he goes to meet, yeah. it's secure. Next, he goes to meet his agent, who doesn't seem very active in pursuing his career. Uh, Lewin's... Complains he needs money. He doesn't even have a winter coat. Uh, okay. And his agent offers him one, which he turns it I down. I like this system, but I think, yeah. So we should like go as fast as we can, but then anyone can say slow down and zoom in because I have a yep, thing there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we should make that noise. Um, I just realized, as you said it, that the horrible thing that probably happened off camera was Mike's suicide. That's probably why he's staying at the Gorefiends because we know that they're close to Mike because of scenes later. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, I just wanted to zoom in because I wrote the quotes down. He, I think it's quintessential to Lewin's nature that in the larger context, you can understand his frustration. But in not being able to regulate himself or in expressing his frustration, whether it's justified or not, people also rightly reflect back to him, I perceive you to be an asshole. And as the people riding very closely along with him on his journey, you can see at all times that he is an asshole and you get why he's upset. And I think this is one of the first scenes where they play that line beautifully Mm -hmm. because 
his manager Mel sucks. He's like the flight of the Concords manager. Mm-hmm. It's like jokes about how he's not doing shit. And he says, it's cold. I don't even have a coat. And Mel goes, you don't even have a coat. Take my coat. And he goes, I don't want your coat. I want you to like work for me. I want money. I need money from the album. And he goes, no, no, no. Take my coat. And he goes, I don't want your coat, Mel. What are you going to wear? It's just a big fat fucking bluff. Meaning like you're not going to really give me your coat. Then you would have to walk home. It's like zero degrees. And he goes, bluff? I offer you the coat off my, get the fuck out of my office. And then he goes, okay, thanks for the coat and snatches it. And Mel goes, shit, and takes the coat back and goes, I'll give you 40 bucks. So again, it's very funny, this like contentious relationship he has with his manager, but it's also very desperate and sad. And like our hero is on the edge of financial destitution. And also, I just love the interplay that comes up again and again, like I said. of I can see why Mel thinks he's a prick, but I can see why Lewin felt like, I have to like start being aggressive. What the fuck else am I supposed to do? I'm starving. Yeah. Uh, we've not, I'm not, yeah, yeah. I, I'd say that that's well said. It's very revealing that it, everything needs to happen on Lewin's terms. Like, mm-hmm. he needs he's going to be an asshole because he can't help but speak the truth. And in the moment, this is the truth of that's a blunt, like a empty promise that you're giving me. And I'm not going to play the he's rules passionate that society about, has given. It's yeah. kind of catcher in the rye-ish. He yeah. hates nothing more than phonies and phoniness and the idea of being a sellout. Right. Yeah. And he wants to, which is very uh, part and parcel to the folk movement yeah. and the beats. Uh, he thinks art as, is as important. Well Yeah, and it's just like he he wants to throw a gear in the a priori of the authoritarian kind of societal dominant, you know, um, this is the way it should be. These are the social forays forays that you have to abide by and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Um, He hates that shit, and that's what makes him a prick. But you also kind of go, (laughs) that's kind of funny. He called that guy out about the coat thing. And the Coens use all of their skill to make sure that you also feel the impact of like Hang Me Oh Hang Me is a single like un- uncut performance and they use all of their formidable skill to make you be like he is good. The songs are fucking haunting and beautiful. Right. Yeah, that's, that's important. a tough thing to do. That's by crazy the way. for them to be like okay, we want to make a movie about a guy who despite his immense talent <clears throat> never finds commercial success. Well, and now you got to make not... a guy immensely talented. It's like when they try to write comedy writers in shows and they're not comedy writers. And you're like, you're not funny enough to pull this off. But right. Oscar Isaacs is like, you're like, man, folk music's good. Folk music is fucking good. <laughs> like after the, and this yeah. is This is kind of a testament to T-Bone Burnett, who's the yes, musical. Thank you. Carter, uh, Carter Burwell didn't do this one. This is the first one he hadn't done. T-Bone has been with them for a while. He, they for example, they both or all of them work together on Oh Brother. But this is this is T-Bone's uh, show. And what's crazy to me is like I just recently watched The Star is Born and it's tough because you can te- definitely tell that uh, what's his face is not a, a musician, Bradley Cooper. And right. then Lady Gaga comes up and you're like, holy fucking shit, she's great. And even though earlier in the film, she's not it's not perfect because she doesn't have all the band behind her. And it doesn't really work. Mm. But then when she's in full Gaga mode, you go, that is a fucking great performance. Right. What's crazy about this film is that because maybe it's a singer-songwriter, 
and it's just a guy on a guitar, and that's all you need. Are you saying so John Goodman's of... right? Folk music is easy. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I don't know. If it was easy, I would be able to do it. Uh, yeah, but, these songs like, are beautifully haunting in a way. I don't know. I'm they're good. They're well yeah. constructed. His voice is pretty damn good. I don't know if that's all him yeah. or if that's uh, Oscar Isaac. Well, there's a lot of acting in folk singing, and he's a great actor. But yeah, it's a lot of acting. He puts a lot of folk. emotion so just, into the songs. It, they really went. They put him through the ringer in terms of you got to like. I'm. We're gonna make you a pop, like a pop, folk pop star kind of thing. Like you have to be that and good that it's believable that you that your talent being squandered is a tragedy. And that's yeah, a, that's hard to achieve. Basing your movie on that single <laughs> yeah. premise being true and pulling it off is such an arrogant kind of thing. It's like right. walking into a movie where you're like. Uh, I'm gonna make a movie about a like, and the protagonist is a cat. And then you're like, God damn it, I hate working with cats because they never do what they want me to. You could have walked in that movie. The Coen Brothers could have made this movie and just be like, every time they're on set, they're like, I don't know, man. Yeah. This is not a. It doesn't play. It's not a great song. If Oscar Isaac's wasn't prepared to do well, the and they're hitting there. They know what they're doing too. Yeah, they're setting they them know up what for success. I think they're hedging their bets, and they're like, "All right, we're gonna take a lot of work and get this meticulously planned, so that it does pull." T Bone's gonna pick off. the best songs. Yeah, like yeah. And there's a go ahead. What? Oh, well, there's a little trivia about that mm -hmm. uh, about T Bone uh, after Oscar Isaac's first meeting with him, uh, and he was like the advisor, the composer, the musician. Mm -hmm. He just put on a Tom Waits record and left the room for an hour and said that was the first lesson, <laughs> is what Isaac said to a reporter. Yeah. It was a real Mr. Miyagi moment. I just thought that that was really like a funny uh, quote from Wax Oscar on. Isaac. Wax yeah, on. Wax on. He's just like, walks in and says, Tom Waits. <laughs> Bye. Tom Waits for no man. Uh, that's that's first session. All right. Back to, the, back to business, right? Yeah. So he goes back to the apartment with the cat and the owner of the apartment is there and you realize it's Gene. Uh, who is Carrie? Uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Carrie Mulligan. Yeah. Well, well, I was gonna say, yeah. In context to the story, you quickly realize this is someone he had sex with, but she's with someone else, and she mm -hmm. hates his guts because of it. Oh, sorry, I do have to go back because I do think it's worth saying. Uh, to aspiring writers and storytellers out there, look at the depth of show don't tell on display in the film, in the sense that. What, you know how you had, oh, you yes. know how you really hedge your bets in a screenplay that's based around someone who's a meteoric talent. You either cast Lady Gaga because she is one in real life, or mm -hmm. you have a bunch of lines where they get the job and they become famous because all the other characters in the universe say they're so talented. No one ever calls Lewin Davis good or says his music is good ever in the entire mm -hmm. movie. Mm -hmm. They had no. to trust that you, the audience, will find it so self-evidently good that you'll disagree with every other character in the movie and be like, no, he is good. Yep. <laughs> that is, yep. they set themselves up for failure and then conquered it. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I also like, uh, there's just a cute little filmic moment where she, in order to tell him that she's pregnant she writes it on a note even though like troy is there yeah there's a kenneth from 30 rock motherfucker named troy yeah he's a soldier with a very positive attitude also a folk singer that comes into play later a successful uh, folk singer which is a trend mm -hmm. in the movie is seeing other people pop off around you which we can both identify with yeah uh, and i think 
it's important that it's like exhibit A, a true sellout. Or like, here's the thing, to a normal person who's not bitter <laughs> or cynical or worried about selling out or phoniness, you can like, he's perfectly nice. And if he plays a good song and sings a good song, good for him. You know what There's I mean? There's nothing fucking wrong with the him. The audience man. says, yeah. like they say, several people say, yeah, he really connects with the audience. What are you going to fucking do? He sings it nice. But here's the thing. Lewin's like, but he's in the army, which is against our e the ethos of folk, and yep. he's vapid. I talk to him, and he's like he's dumb and basic and shallow. So he's faking it. It's not real. He's it's not real art. It's pretend art. And you're like, if he can fake it well enough that the audience can't tell the difference, no one gives a shit, dude. Except you. Only mm -hmm. you care. That's the problem with being principled. Yeah. So and I thought another yeah. nice touch that they did when they staged it is that Troy is holding the cat. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's like he is not there's he's a soldier with a positive attitude there's nothing there's something about that shot with Troy behind him holding or behind her holding the cat mm -hmm. that speaks to Troy being reliable and likable and put together like he's the anti uh, antithesis of he Lynn. would never cause problems in your life through your association yeah. with him he doesn't and the get into basic trouble yeah <laughs> operation of the scene is i promised troy the couch i didn't think you were going to sleep here we didn't agree to anything you're like this stray cat is what gene sees right and troy continuously him. being like i don't mind i'll sleep on the floor and i swear yeah, he's, just he's nice. perfect because he is that kind of nice where i'm sorry like i get you're like fuck you like you're too nice cut the shit like no one's this nice just stop it's like yeah. fake nice. And it, so it is phony. And that's why he's a great example of what Lewin hates. But it's complicated because you can be nice and phony and make small talk and play the game. And so what if he's not deep? Like, who gives a shit? Um, or he could be deep and he's just like, I don't know you enough to exactly. be deep with you yet. But Lewin like, judges him immediately, variables. as he always does. And you reap what mm -hmm. you sow. Because the person who I we could argue, I think, is... It is, it's almost so mean that it's inexplicable. Jean is like supernaturally hateful to Lewin. She hates mm -hmm. his fucking guts in like a veep way, where she invents brilliant sentences to like destroy him constantly. Oh, it's lovely. So, it's smacks, it smacks some Maddie Ross. Yeah. So basically, um, they have to get out of the. Oh, okay. Before we move on, um, Jim. Oh, Jim arrives, and we realize, oh, Gene is in a couple. Gene and Jim, who, as you Jim is not to, in the movie yet. Jim is not, We haven't seen Jim. Jim is Justin Timberlake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's I was, later in the movie. Yeah, I'm jump. Uh, Do you don't want to talk about Troy's show? I thought we kind of covered it with, I said, or Troy, all I have written is, Troy plays a show proving you can be naive and stupid and basic and in the army right. and sound just as soulful as Lewin Davis. The audience doesn't care. Right. I think we covered okay. that. Yeah, it's they play 500 Miles, which is Peter, yeah. Paul, and Mary song, and they're very clearly Peter, Paul, and Mary, and they were put together by the same agent that Lewin Davis has. Yeah, so no. it's almost like he could have been Troy, and he specifically turned it down. Yes, uh, and also obviously despite everything she says there was a point at which gene like consensually had sex with him so there was some kind of feelings between right. them it's like uh again as will come up over and over it's an opportunity that 
would have taken some effort on Lewin's part to sort out, but could have benefited him immensely. But he just can't be bothered to compromise his principles at all to sort it out. Yeah, I also thought that the Poppy uh, sitting down and saying, nice song, that Gene, I'd like to fuck her. It's, it shows how people are constantly taking away random nonsense from events, which I think goes into play later because yeah. Lionel Davis thinks that everyone's uh, – Lewin thinks everything that's happening is happening to him or happening around him, and uh, he's always at the center of attention more or less. But the reality is that people are grabbing random nonsense off the ground and picking it up and making it about themselves or about someone else. It's just like – it shows that it, it like really – shocks you because you're in this moment where you're like kind of with Lewin and you're like look at Gene and Jim they're all so happy he fucking hates it he's you know rolling his eyes at like how pop sentiment this song is and no one fucking cares you know like yeah he's that's what I thought that that right but that's what that's but Jim is in this scene this is the scene where Jim arrives uh, Jim does yeah. arrive in this scene and he yeah, calls yeah, I just try an amazing performer and I think pointedly Lewin says and this sums up I think the judgment part of it is he does he have a higher function and Mm -hmm. that's a question about art that's interesting to ask that i care about like this is again why i feel like i'm lewin davis in a lot of ways i do care about that it's important to me that art has a higher function but i'm able to recognize that most to most people that that question's meaningless. Like, that's a fuck you question. It doesn't apply to Marvel movies. You know, it doesn't apply to riding on a roller coaster. Go fuck yourself. Um, right. And, uh, yeah, so this is when we realized that Justin Timberlake, a.k.a. Jim, is Jean's significant other and that she's worried that, or that she is pregnant. Uh, oh, they, she, we don't know about the questionable parentage until next scene. But basically, Jean leaves to get a drink. And Lewin Davis asks Jim for a loan, which we can deduce is for an abortion for Gene. And uh, Jim says, you know, but I'd have to tell Gene because there's no secrets between us. And LD says, never mind, never mind, never mind. Oh, I also just wanted to say real quick in case it mystified anyone, Poppy is the owner of the club they constantly play at, which is like a folk spot mm-hmm. in Greenwich Village, since you mentioned Poppy. The next morning, uh, Lewin's on the floor. Yep. So Troy's awake eating a bowl of cereal. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. About that. I just think it's a yeah, really important it. image that, uh, to hammer home the judginess, they, Troy says, I want to invite an amazing performer on stage with me, someone I wouldn't be here without. Oh, and right. And he yeah. angrily says, I don't have my guitar. Like, fuck you. I wouldn't lower myself to play with you. Not realizing oh, man. he obviously means Jim and G and the people he's like staying with and friends with who are yeah. also folk singers. What the fuck are you thinking? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're such a, you're such, a, you show up your own ass. Uh, so, yeah, the next morning, uh, Lewin makes cracks about. Troy's robotic, dutiful, disciplined archetype, like we talked about. Troy just shakes it off. Do you plug yourself Uh, in somewhere? No. Like, he's just like, I take your insults. That's fine. I don't care. And he says, are they they making you a killing machine? Sorry, I think is the other important day. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. It's like one-two punch. It's like you're... I don't think you're a real person and you're doing disciplined. You stand for things I disagree with in my art. Yeah. In in different... in different moments in different people's lives, though both of those things can be true. Uh, I don't think that Lewin or anyone in the audience watching Lewin do this stuff has any 
ability to judge Troy about this, and Troy, therefore, it uh, he doesn't deserve it. And yet, I uh, do uh, also think that military spending in America is out of control. For example, right? So it's sure, like yeah. you can have principles and not be a prick. And the whole point of the movie is that it's very complicated. That's one of the points. It's very complicated. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's not giving you an answer. It's just showing someone who everyone is victim to the flaws and the phases that they're in. Yes. That's kind of what the thing is doing. But that's more more for later. Uh, after Troy leaves him to report for duty, Lewin opens a window to take a cigarette, and the cat gets out again. Is, I Lewin can't believe he's that dumb. Yeah. It's just like, come on, man. Um, you just keep forgetting I don't know if it's shit. intentional, but it is notable that a famous screenwriting trick is to have your protagonist, quote, save the cat. Save the cat Which is early. to, yeah. uh, comes from, like, I believe an old de- noir detective movie where in the beginning the guy like saves a cat from a storm drain and you're like that wasn't important to the plot no but it made you really like him from jump street and right, uh right. lewin davis literally like loses two and a half cats depending on how you count it <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. right it's um and it's it was got popularized by a uh, uh probably just like inside baseball screenwriter stuff but popularized mostly for people Fairly early in the 90s, in uh, the Blank Check writer, Blake Snyder, wrote a book called Save the Cat, which is very Sid Screenfield, uh, like, here's how you write a script on page 30. It does this. It's very, like, textbook, do these things. Yeah. So he loses the cat, uh, and then he goes to talk to Gene so that they can talk outside of Jim's earshot about the baby, which is where we get basically, I think, the most emblematic, memorable cut down monologue um which is he says is there any chance you want to keep the baby no do you are you sure it's couldn't it be jim's of course it could fucking be jim's but now even if it's a perfectly good baby i have to get it aborted anyway because everything you touch turns to shit you know a doctor right and you'll pay for it yes i should have had you wear double condoms if you ever do it again which you shouldn't (laughs) as a favorite of people everywhere but if you do you should wear condom on condom on condom wrapped in electrical tape because you are shit you are dangerous to every living being because you are shit (laughs) yeah i love the beginning of that quote is slightly off which i just love even though you nailed the ending it's so i have to get rid of a perfectly fine baby a baby i want because everything you touch turns to shit like king midas's idiot brother Yeah, I just love that. Uh, And of course, he has what I think is a very reasonable question. (laughs) Have you heard the expression? He's calling her out on her shit. Have you heard the expression? It takes two to tango. Right. And then she says, fuck you. I miss Mike. And you can feel them soften towards each other. So there's an allusion to a previous life, maybe where they were better friends because Mike was the linchpin. And now they're just not. But they're aware that in the past they didn't hate each other as much as they do currently much yeah, yeah. this this crime of suicide has uh, yeah you know, really, really fucked them up their lives and you know and then he asks her to leave the window open in case the cat comes back um it's winter it's winter yeah but i lost their cat i feel bad about it that's what you feel bad about which is like hey he can feel bad about the affair and the cat missing <laughs> i don't yeah. know yeah. Um, yeah, there's a there's some Yeah. Gene has some as we'll see in later scenes. It's very like that. I think they're writing a very like 60s sentiment, 50s, 60s sentiment of gender roles because it's very like you can tell that uh Gene is a depressed individual. Yeah. Like she does not think highly of herself and it's pretty rough. 
Yes. Well, and that's just through little I, hints in a that later come out scene. Later. She says, yeah. "So yeah, let's go. Yeah. We'll get in there. A, we'll get there." Yeah. Um, he meets uh, next, his sister Joy at mm-hmm. their childhood home, basically to ask if the house sold. Uh, it's like he's on a quest to get the money for the abortion. That's how this all starts yeah. and propels the, the first two hundred leg bucks, of the journey. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, he obviously has issues with their dad. Again, he thinks he's a phony in some way, but it never becomes fully clear. Like he's a square, he's a sellout. Um, sister doesn't like him cursing in front of her son and says he should join the merchant Marine, which he used to do, which if all you whippersnappers out there don't know, it's like a job be like being a trucker on the ocean. And it's a job that's decent and stable and you can always get it if you're qualified and have the licenses and stuff. So it's like you're, definition of a mundane job that would see you through and uh he says what quit quit music just exist and she's oh i love this quote this is great because yeah i get up my ass about the importance of our artistic endeavors Mm -hmm. and at this is how other people must feel hearing that shit Mm -hmm. uh what quit just exist Oh, is that what we do outside of show business? Just exist? It's nice existing. And no, she doesn't sound fully like Harley Quinn, but it's in that ballpark. Um, Then she tries to convince him to take some old pressings of his one record that did okay, which was with his partner, Mike. And uh, he says he doesn't want it because he doesn't want to get out in the world because it's uh it's not good enough that's another thing that artists fall into that's very much me too uh except in the podcast <laughs> realm um right. he uh and nothing's good enough right he has to keep working on it the concept album will be perfect someday and that will make all his dreams come true um and he says mm-hmm. you know let me explain in this business you don't let your practice shit out it destroys the mystique <laughs> and she says i'm sorry i don't know much about entertainment And he says, yeah, well, don't be sorry, which I love because the subtext is he thinks her, he doesn't even scan that her apology is sarcasm. He really pities her that she doesn't have this connection to art. And she's like, I have a son and a job and the sunshine and the trees and my hobbies. Like, fuck you. You're dismissing the lives of so many people. Like if, if you're not a painter, you may, why were you born? You know, it's just such a stupid proposition. Uh, Yeah. A bit about that existing part. I feel like you orphaned my favorite line, which is just after he says, it's not so bad, just existing. And then he comes back at with, like, dad. Yeah. Which is such a very, like, uh, angsty, like, kid. You know, like... Like, dad worked in a that fucking about... cubicle his whole life yeah. and he had a heart attack. He's a fucking sellout. And her sellout. response is fucking yeah. hilarious to me. You say that about your own father? That he exists? <laughs> that he exists? Like that? Like... It's well, so wonderful because that espouses she knows exactly it what is insulting. Saying. He means she's, it as an insult. She is smart enough to understand all the subtext that he's flirting with. Yeah. It's not news to her, all the complex thoughts that you're, like we you get think it. You're you think you're deeper than career. all of us. We get it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, and if, and he's just, she's just throwing it in his face. Like you're, you're trying to make it seem like I'm beneath you. But the reality is that I see exactly what's going on. I'm your sister. I'm just as intelligent as you. Yeah. I have a lot of wants. This is my choice. This is the choice I made. This is the phase of my life. I'm a mother. I'm doing these things with my life. Go be a mariner She's and just She's also exist. like renovating the house, managing the sale. Like she has shit popping off. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just like, he can't but just But it's exist. just a normal life. But it's not spectacular. I don't think he even yeah. knows what that means. Right. Maybe he does. But like, I think that that's what 
that that's what this movie's later kind of will be revealed is kind of about, which I don't want to peel too much into, but you, I just want to point that out for later. Um, um, so yeah. it gets dropped. I forget exactly how. Oh, no. Okay. Well, we should have mentioned it earlier. On the phone. But through conversation with Troy before he bounces, we just find out that there's this mythical producer, Bud Grossman, who runs a a print called The Gate of Horn, and I cannot stress enough, and it'll move things along nicely, is The Wizard of Oz. In like structurally as the Wizard of Oz, like you have to go on in a every, quest to, yeah. and if you get his approval, you're set for life, and blah blah blah. In like in most Coen Brothers movies, there's a quote unquote great man. Yes, uh, that they do. Love it's all that. leading up to. And what's interesting yeah. is, in this, they don't fixate on him much. Like Lewin is initially just trying to scrounge up enough money for an abortion, uh, but you get little hints enough that if you're a savvy film watcher, I feel like you're like he's going to end up going to the gate of horn. There's like a gravitational pull towards yeah. that. Um, so he calls the Gorefiends. He lies about the cat being lost to buy a little time to try and find it. It's now loose in the city. Um, but the Gorefiend uh, dude was actually calling to tell him he got a gig from Jim, Justin Timberlake. So he goes to Columbia Records to play the gig where things become awkward because he didn't bring his guitar. He was told he didn't need it. Then the first thing the guy says when he meets him is, where's your guitar? <laughs> they Yeah, he, it's because he left it at the house because yeah. he went to see his sister. So his, his life is, he's not prepared. He's for always anything. a step behind. Uh, they ask if he yeah. can read charts, and he says, like, no, I'm just good at playing the guitar. So it's like, he's good, but he's not cut out of the professional mold. You know, it's this yeah. kind of scene. Jim teaches him the song, says it's not the most serious thing we've ever written, but they're paying us good money. It's poppy. It's folky. Here's our thing. They uh, they workshop it. And to the audience ear, I think it's objectively meant to be stupid. It's like, a, yeah. it's like it's the folk Adam song Driver equivalent going, oh. of um, I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. You're like, yeah, it's catchy, but it's nothing. It's stupid. Um, it's yeah. yeah. It harkens of like cowboy, old cowboy, like fifties, sixties kind of throwbacks. It's about going like we're into outer space. Yeah. yeah, it's got yeah. It's it's really bizarre, uh, in the way that you know yeah. that kind of culture and pop was at the time because of what the Beatles and were Peter doing Paul and, and Mary like did that. indulge in that Peter that Paul. novelty yeah. undercurrent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, ultimately, it, he sort of Lewin sort of shows his ass because he says, "Hey, man, I'm happy for the gig, but <laughs> who wrote this? You know, like you can hear it in his voice. Yeah, <laughs> who wrote this?" Exactly. And he goes, "Oh, I did." <laughs> and he goes, "Okay." He just says, and "Okay." Jim is hurt by this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's again, you're like, leading up to that moment, I agree with Lewin. It, so it has to be said. This song sucks. And then when he says it, you're like. Ah, uh, you're kind of an asshole. It's both. Both are true. It's both. Yeah. Both are true. So even though he signed with Mel, uh, he decides to go contract because he needs the money now, which is $200. So yeah, they offer him a dilemma. Abortion. You can take $200 now, which is the magical movie number mm -hmm. he needs to get an abortion. But the important or, part is that he's not within the union, so he doesn't get the royalties or credit on the album. But he's fine with that because he yes. doesn't see there's a future in the song or anything, and it won't give him any forward momentum in his career. And man, uh, you don't even basic movie watch it. I'm like, it is broadcast loud and clear, which takes a very short hand at the wheel but like 
you immediately know, even as he's saying it, you're like, well, that song's going to make a billion dollars, you moron. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because everything's not going right. Yeah. And then, of course, in like Lewin fashion, uh, he forces Adam Driver, a.k.a. Al Cody, to let him crash on his couch. He like basically forces him, like, hey, you got an apartment? You After, got a couch? you know, he thinks this guy is the stupidest guy of a stupid thing. And then right. he's like, but can I crash on your couch, though? So he's willing he's to be a people. drain and a parasite on people who are willing to sell out to maintain his sense that he hasn't sold out, which is yeah, a tactic I see artists pursue frequently in real life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, right. So after that, he visits Mel. Random Cohen Brothers scene work. Mel is out for a funeral. I guess he likes funerals. It's just like the idea of... Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. I think when they sat down and write this stuff, sometimes they go like, what was the last excuse? Well, we we talked about funerals in the last uh, scene. It might be funny for him to just be like... Lewin would be like, man, that guy likes funerals. Orphan line. But it also harkens to the fact that he's old. I wrote it down because I thought it was real funny. Uh, Another funeral. Yeah, he's at a funeral. He likes people. Yeah, less and less of them. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, exactly. Witty, witty. Good dig on dead people, (laughs) Take that, dead people. Suck on a worm. Dunking on on dead people. Dunking on the dead. Uh, Secretary. Secretary mentions there's no mail for him. Uh, Mike and Lewin's records are going to be thrown out because they're moving things. Storage doesn't really matter. And he does. But Mel left a box anyway. of. They're too painful. He, he, there's just too many of them. Yeah. But he left a box of the records. For oh Lewin. no, he does take them. He takes them. And he says, "What am I going to do with them?" But he takes them. He reviews yeah. it. So he goes back to uh, Gene and Jim's to get his guitar, and uh, Gene does not want to meet at the apartment. You know, they she wants to find public Ooh, ground. Sorry, so they meet in a coffee shop. Point previous point i just want to point out uh well he's staying at adam driver's place who again is a different version of troy he's perfectly nice and going about his business but lewin hates him because he's achieving success in a way that lewin doesn't approve of uh he wears a cowboy hat he changed his name for the stage it's not al cody it's something like mundane i forget and uh he ends up finding a copy of driver's debut album in his apartment in adam driver's apartment called five and 20 questions which is a stupid ass corny ass name for an Mm -hmm. album and the cover's really stupid and you can tell he thinks it's stupid but i think it's an important point that like everyone has an artistic dream and it's important to them even if you think it's corny yep. or like if you look down on country music, say there are people who grew up with country music and their dreams to write country music and just let them fucking enjoy it. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Why is it important that you occupy yourself? That's as, that's as or that you decide is which is you best occupy yourself yeah. with hurting people. It's not. So sorry. Important. You're saying he goes to pick up his stuff from Jean's apartment again. They meet in a coffee shop, which is like neutral ground. He says he's got the money for the abortion. And they, of course, like in like fashion, like every other scene they've been in, they start to lay into each other about being, he's being a, uh, her being a careerist and him being a loser. Gene says that uh, he, he just doesn't want to go anywhere and just sleeps with, this is the quote that I was thinking of that, wow, this is really revealing of Gene. She says, mm-hmm. end quote, just sleeps with other people's women. Yeah. Which is just crazy because it, I mean, it, it's indicative of like the times and the gender politics and all of that, but it's also indicative of how she perceives herself as not being hers. Did you write like, that? She's someone down? else's. The dialogue. No. All right, here we go. Do you ever think of the future? What flying cars, hotels on the moon? That's your problem. You've blueprinted the future. If music is your way to get to the suburbs and a nice house with Jim, yeah, it's a little careerist and it's a little square and it's a little sad. That's Lewin on Gene. And then Gene on Lewin is, 
you're sad. Me and Jim are getting somewhere. You don't want to go anywhere. You get nowhere because you like it that way and because you fuck other people's women whose couch are you crashing on tonight. I told you, Al Cody, you don't listen. You just spout vitriol. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it reminded me of the squid and the whale in the sense that the scripting of the fighting is so real and so cutting that it's uncomfortable to be in those scenes, for me anyway. Yeah, They're rough. Which is... Whole- I also love the parallels here because and the close lenses uh, when she's digging. Oh, when yeah. they're digging into each other, like when Jean's going on, uh, Lewin, it's said by a woman who resisted, resists saying that she's sad. And when he accuses her, he's saying that she only spits vitriol, which it, the reality is they're both doing what they're, they're doing what they're accusing the other person of doing. And they're both, like she w- yeah. is resisting that she's resisting that she's sad and he's spouting vitriol. and he's resisting that he doesn't spit vitriol. Yeah. So it's just like crazy how short sighted uh, just then he sees the cat. Great uh, screenwriter trope. If you need sometimes serendipity kicks in mm-hmm. uh, if you need to get out of something. It's not the but it's not serendipity because we find out that's just a, a random cat. It's a different it's another cat. random cat. So it's some other not cat. serendipity. I love that. <clears throat> Yeah, but he sees it and he says, just stay here. I got to go get something. Goes and grabs the cat and returns it. Yeah. And did you get these quotes? Okay, sorry. I think this is real important and telling. Okay, Mm -hmm. where were we? He says as he sits down with the cat, she says, you were calling me careerist and I was calling you a loser. And he says, well, those are the two categories. And she says, no, those are your categories. Like, you know, you define the categories that you slot people into that's in your head is this the yeah in my experience line no that's it i i like the no uh, those are your I categories like, i just thought it was a and memorable says, well, quote because yeah, i liked experience. it in my experience the world is divided into two types of people those who divide the world into two types of people and then she says and losers yeah 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 <laughs> it's just like and a those funny, who know like, binary all right um yeah, yeah. <laughs> on his, right. uh, he go, he heads home. He helps Al Cody move some boxes out of his tiny apartment that looks identical to Jim and Jean's. I think there's just an underlying joke that all the folk people in Greenwich Village live in like these dingy, interchangeable apartments that all look the same. Mm-hmm. Um, he finds out Al Cody's real name is Arthur Milgram, <laughs> and Al Cody yeah. says, uh, "You know, because I'm helping another folk guy out, loaning him my car." The car I own is going to Chicago on Thursday if you happen to need a ride to Chicago or want to go to Chicago for some reason. So it's this network of musicians who are all poor just helping each other. And Lewin Davis is like, no, I have no reason to go there. But you, the audience, know that's where Bud Grossman is. So he'll end up going mm-hmm. soon. Yeah, it's it's crazy. <laughs> and at this point, when you're watching the movie, or at least I was every time I watch it, the things Lewin at this point is in debt for, where he'll sleep in a few days, where he's sleeping tonight, it all gets so confusing in your head. And how yeah. does like he keep track of it? It doesn't matter. Like he where the cat the is cat and whose cat it even yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> right. So then he goes to the uh, doctor's ne- office. You take the scene. Yeah, the OBG. Yeah, he goes to the OBGYN uh, and the doc turns down Lewin's money because as it turns out, the woman that they uh, they had he had an abortion with uh, last time. Um, last time he accidentally was, impregnated someone. Yeah, was a woman by the name of Diane. 
he learns in the scene that she didn't get the abortion. They move, and then they move to yeah, the doctor's like, "What do you mean? I owe you one abortion. I owe you <laughs> an abortion. You, this one's pro bono." And uh, she she moved to Akron, and so he's got a kid out His there. His kid like is about to turn two, which is, mm-hmm. I think, very intentionally a prime time to reconnect with your child. Like if you made the effort, no matter how difficult it is, that would. You'd be good. That's a good time. Yeah, it's not too late to save it. Um, So that's in your head as a question. Oh, is this kid going to come up? You know, why did this happen in the movie? And where's the payoff? You remember Akron. Yeah, (laughs) Akron, Akron, Ohio is where the kid is. So he goes to the Gorefiends to drop off the cat, which thinks he's recovered. By the way, halfway between New York and Chicago. Oh, really? (laughs) Akron, Ohio? That's beautiful. Yeah, basically. Um, He goes to the Gorefiends to drop off the cat. And they sort of pull him into having dinner. And again, like the scene, uh, I think, like the scene where you realize he's an asshole at the same time that you understand where he's coming from with Mel in the coat. He does a thing that I understand why artists feel that way because it becomes muddied what your personal and work time is. And it becomes muddied what your personal and professional and like public space is. Um, because when you have a talent that's fun to experience, like being able to play guitar and sing really well, people ask you to do that <laughs> at parties and stuff. And I know comedians hate, especially people who are primarily writers. Yeah. Oh, you're a comedian? Tell me Tell a joke. Tell me a joke right now. You're like, it super doesn't work like that. Uh, that it's going to suck. Why not? If you're yeah. a comedian, you're funny. Be funny. And, and then you, in your head, you go, fuck, they're right. I should just be able to be funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a real confidence destroyer when people just come up to me and go, make me laugh like right now. Oh, you're a comedian? Make me laugh right now. Yeah. Mm. But um, it, it reminded me of the sorry to bother you scene that really hit me the hardest, where they make right. him rap and they all chant back at him. Right. Um, right. But basically, uh, so I got the. Basically, they this fancy couple who work at the Columbia Department of Sociology, which is a clear flag that, like, they appreciate folk. You know what I mean? They're like foodies. They mm-hmm. appreciate folk. But at the end of the day, Lewin would judge them. Lewin does think they're squares and fake, if merely for the fact that they have financial stability and they live in a nice home and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're square. They're dorky. They're, they're lame. And... Uh, Gorfine knows it. Like he says, we're his last resort. He's not an Upper West Side guy. So there's this vibe that Lewin's like too cool to be there. And then they ask him to play music for their dinner guests, who he also thinks are losers because they're going to name their child Howard Greenfung, which is objectively a dorky bad name. But he didn't have mm-hmm. to be a prick. He says, you're kidding, right? And that's like, you don't say that, man. Uh, can I go a little bit earlier, <laughs> just because I think there's a great joke for musicians out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they're introducing Lewin to the group, one of the people's name is Joe Flom, another funny fucking mm-hmm. name. Uh, and he is a guy who plays early, mu- he's interested in early music. You, he's professorial, he's probably just teaching theory of classic, early mu- early classical music. Yeah. Uh, and he plays like the harpsichord, so he's like completely outdated and stuff like he's that. He's an but academic like, oh, you're also about music, and they compare them as yeah. if they're the same, which you can tell offends Lewin. <clears throat> and he talks about they briefly talk about piano, where he Lewin mentions his piano teacher probably when he was like, you know, a kid. And she, so Joe Flum, does she play early music? Lewin goes, um, Harry James on the radio on the piano. Um, drink to me with only thine eyes. She was not a singer. And then 
well, or she was not a swinger. And then he responds, well, Harry James. And then he says, okay, well, her playing that was pretty on beat. Uh, so the re- I want to dissect that joke for a second. It's a good music joke because early music means like that early classical music. Harry James is a big pop, big band art- artist. Drink to Me with Thine Own Eyes is a classic love ballad, and it's like an operatic. Harry James played swing music, so that's that pun on the beat, mm-hmm. uh, because that's on the beat. Swing means, means like slightly off signature, the beat. Yeah. Is slightly off. So saying that she played it poorly, but in 60s terms where it's on the beat means that in today's terms it was it like it fucking she played it really well but, but he's he making a joke that's square that's squint that's swing yeah. yeah so and that it's square versus swing so it's digging at the stuffiness of joe but saying a pun just for himself in the room but also she proving wasn't a good i know music too dude don't fuck with me yeah, yeah. so no one in the rooms gets the joke <laughs> but for different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> it's situations so like well that done. are great. And then a little later in dinner, uh, they try to get him to play. He says, I'm not a trained poodle. And um, the uh, the lady Gorfine, I don't remember the Gorfine's first names, but the lady of the house says, Mitch and Lillian, Lillian says, I yeah. thought singing was a joyous expression of the soul, which is a beautiful crystalline moment for me because I can see why it bothers him to be put on the spot. But yeah. if he was open to being able to hear her through his haze of cynicism, she's right. He needs to reconnect with the joy of his art. Singing is a joyous expression of the soul. And he agrees with that. But, like, he can't do that. Not lately, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So he says sort of another good music joke, I think. This one's early. Joe should like it. Meaning that he's just going to play a folk song from, like, 10 years ago. Whereas, of course, Joe means right. early music. Um which is funny because the one of the first the first real line of the movie that isn't a song is a quote from Lewin saying probably heard that one before if it was never new and never gets old then it's a folk song yeah which is the tip off ultimately that the last scene is the same scene as that line stands out right it's never early um, so, yeah. so, <laughs> so good things boil over when Lillian starts singing the harmony to the song that he is playing Mike's and part. he stops it and goes, don't do that. Don't do that. And she goes, it's Mike's part. Mike is dead partner. In fact, this scene organically is how the audience deduces, oh, Mike killed himself. Oh, Mike was his partner. This is where it like comes out screenplay wise. Um, and he, I, I just wrote down the quote. It's Mike's part. I know what it is. Don't do that. This is bullshit. You know, I, I do this for a living. It's not a fucking parlor game. This is how I pay the fucking rent, which he doesn't do, by the way. Sorry for fucking up your evening. And then she cries and runs out of the room and he goes, well, she doesn't have to go. Obviously, I'm going to go. Obviously. <laughs> and yeah, then, it's then she just screams and runs in with the cat and holds it. Up and goes, this is not our cat. It's not even male. Where is its scrotum, Lewin? Where is its scrotum? <laughs> Which is, I mean... It's a classic Cohen just, humor moment. They like going yeah. in that direction. Yeah, and plus you just now, you're like, Robin Bartlett, the actress who plays Oh, Lillian. she kills it. Can you come in here and we just want to hear you get really angry at us and yell, where's its scrotum? <laughs> it's just one of those moments that you're like, they're at, they're at their job right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> With like uh, up angled shots. So you it seems really you heavy. See the cat. Yeah. 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 Another bridge burned. Uh, now he's got no and the, couch yeah. to crash on. So he decides to go to Chicago after all. Surprise, surprise. Because yeah, he's, he's, yeah. You want to introduce bridges. us to Roland Turner, Abe? <laughs> 
Yeah, Roland Turner and Johnny Fives. <laughs> or Johnny Five. Uh, not the robot, though. Not no. Short Circuit Johnny Five. Uh, so the next morning, he catches a ride to Chicago, as you said. Uh, it's um, Roland, a jazz player, is in the back, and he's always basically sleeping. Of course, he's played by uh, John Goodman. Of course. Who... Of I course, can't believe you even brought up that he couldn't, might not be. <laughs> yeah, it's a perfect role for him. And it's also, it, we, we mentioned Oh Brother before, they love to do this with John Goodman uh, at this point. If this is the Odyssey, would this would be the second time he's played the Cyclops, allegorically, kind of, for the Coen yeah. brothers. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's a one-to-one It is not a one-to-one. Like it's about. sloppy. We're going to talk about that. But there's something there. It's sloppy, there. but... It, there's something there. I'll, I'll go into it. I kind of have a, a loose pedagogy, my how, friend. Yeah, pedagogy. I know you brought it up. So Johnny Five is the driver, and he's just laconic and <laughs> just great word. He's just not present. Yeah, uh, Fargo style. So yeah, Fargo style. Just not not a speaker. Uh, so yeah, hitching a ride. Roland has digestion issues, so I have to park a bunch of times. Is what he says. Uh, the whole time he shits on Lewin for his name being Welsh, having a cat and a folk Fucking singer and being a folk dude, singer. His only, By the way, I wanted to po- Yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to point out that Lewin, I looked into this, uh is is indeed a Welsh name. And uh it's it stands for something like uh it, it stands for like person of lions or it, like it represents oh, like cats. of lions. Oh, cat like Leonid. Like it comes it's cat like Leonid. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's so awesome because obviously, oh, and we skipped the line. That's the tip off, but you. yeah, um, you do it. we won't. No, no, no. But I'm not going to unpack it at all now, but uh, I think one of the main symbolic conclusions that most audience members come to through the first viewing is something about him and the cats. He's the cats or the cats are him. And we'll unpack that in more detail. But the tip off line we skipped is actually very early in the film. Someone mishears. And he's saying, I'm Lewin Davis. I need to do this with this cat. And they go, Lewin is the cat. And he goes, no, I'm the cat. I'm Lewin. Like he misspeaks and you're like, okay, he's the cat. So you, okay, you're, you're like cat. geared yeah. up to view the film that way. Um, right. On the road, Roland and Lewin continue their like tete-a-tete. Okay, which so is really... I'm just going to rattle through quotes of this if I could uh, yeah, yeah, real okay. fast. But this movie more than any of theirs... The cut downs are so brutal and vicious, they actually upset me. Like him and Gene. Mm, so here, but they're funny and clever, but Jesus, the cruelty on display. People are so mean. Like Lewin really does just soak up the world's shit. Um, so he says, This is my valet, Johnny Five. What are you, a flamenco dancer? What's your name, Pablo? So he's like, you look gay and you have color to your skin, so I'm going to assume you're Central American or something. Never shuts up. All he does the entire drive is tell stories. So to me, he is the example of the direction Lewin's headed in because all he does is tell stories that say why he's good. He's the good guy and he's important because he plays jazz, which is a dying, important, authentic art form. And Everyone's beneath me because of that. And all I do with every second of life is either be on heroin asleep or talk about how other people are worse than me. And it's depressing as hell. So he goes, grown man with a cat. Is that part of your act? Uh, So again, these aren't all in order or word perfect, but a bunch of his digs. Folk songs. I thought you said you were a musician. (laughs) 
<laughs> so you have a cat. Are you queer? And he, uh, Lewin says, no, I just didn't know what to do with the cat. Oh, so did you bring your dick along too? Because <laughs> you don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he goes, now it's, uh, they pull up to a gas station. He goes, your turn to pay for gas, Elwin. <laughs> so like he doesn't know his name. Um, yeah. uh, later on, more quotes while they're just driving. This is when it gets really bad. In jazz, we play all the notes. Twelve notes on a scale, dipshit. Not three chords on an ukulele. C, C, G, C, D, G. What happened to your friend? He threw himself off the George Washington Bridge. Now, who does that? Now, traditionally, one throws oneself off the Brooklyn Bridge. Was he a halfwit? <laughs> And he says, Lewin has been soaking this up for days, and he finally says something back, which is, hey, how far do you think your cane would fit up your ass? All the way, or would some stay sticking out? And he goes, but here's the thing, mister, threats don't work with me, because I know Santeria, this is the one I'm going to like paraphrase but he's goes on this long monologue about goes voodoo how shit. he learned voodoo santeria which aren't even the same thing from priests in the swamp and um which you squares so he calls lewin a square who very specifically calls other people squares to put them down mm-hmm. you squares would call black magic due to a lack of understanding uh your liver will fail i'll cast a spell whatever the fuck or maybe one day you'll just wake up and go why is my life shit (laughs) it's this ominous fucking foreboding uh so anyway that's the vibe of that car ride (laughs) yeah it's a real positive vibe uh when they get off the road uh it's the only time well, actually, before uh, he goes, when no one's particularly listening and they're still in the car, I think it's important to note that Johnny Five just says, while Lewin's like waking up, he's like, it's like unsure if he's he's saying it for the benefit of Lewin, mm-hmm. but he says, "Clean asshole poems and smiling vegetable songs." Orlovsky, yeah, and Orlovsky was a veteran that Ginsburg met, which is just interesting because the parallels between Troy and such. I think it's and because... And it was encouraged him to write. I think it's because Lewin played Green Green Rocky Road as they drove, and uh, Johnny yeah, Five comes to realize, oh, this guy is Good kind call. of an artist who has chops, because Johnny Five doesn't talk the whole time, and then after he plays Green Green Rocky Road the next morning as he's waking up, Johnny Five basically says, like you said, that very short quote, that if you know what all the know words it. reference you know he's a beat you know that johnny five is a beat poet who wants to be on stage or reciting poetry so right this terse guy who seemed like the least artistically turned on or like activated of anyone in the movie also has an art related dream that he's obviously not fulfilling right like so, so many johnny people Fives, around you are dealing with this you know yeah he also mentions that he did three weeks in the brig which isn't what you think it is it's not that he spent three weeks in jail, in jail although it might as well. It's actually the brig was a, such a, a play that was like yes, big in New it's York, a play. Uh, which uh, means a he's an actor. And then he says, "Closed by the cops." Long story. The historically, what that story is is that the or the short version of the long story for those interested is that the brig was a less than flattering depiction of life in a marine prison, where it shows the marines as a very authoritative kind of like almost catch twenty two s. Yeah. Uh, like treating the prisoners like subhuman. 
and the show was such down. a sensation yeah. that congressional hearings were called to investigate the events and they got the shot, show shot uh, yeah. shut down. So Johnny Five might be saying that the price of authenticity is that you get crushed by the authorities or like we don't know what he's saying. We don't know the status but, uh, of his journey because he's a very terse young yeah. man. But it's this just, tiny reveal that you're like um, – Everyone around you has shit going on, and everyone contains multitudes. Even right. Johnny Five, who's it, just the driver who never speaks. I don't think it's truly uh, pedagogy, but this, I think it's just to say it's important that you kind of look at with this drive is kind of like um, it feels like going down the river sticks with two versions of yourselves because yes. these are two guys who play the tortured artist types. Yep, and it's kind of a glimpse into Davis's future as to choose to be the curmudgeon. Much like a prism or, you know, splits light, it's like, uh, yeah, the this is a... Throughout the whole movie, he gets examples thrust before him of all the different butterfly effect paths that mm -hmm. his journey is likely to take, all the different types that come out of this process. And you like, keep wondering what he's going to choose to do or if he's just going to let things be done to him or what. Like, is this what it means to be authentic, these two guys? Or does that, yeah, or is his version of authenticity doing nothing because you're so authentic, you're paralyzed, anything would be selling out, you know? Mm -hmm. um, which is Gene's uh, accusation is you fail because yeah, you want to fail. exactly. Oh, shit, it's pedagogy. Uh, we find that Roland has been going to the bathroom so much, not because of his uh, forementioned, you know, uh, digestion issues, because <laughs> yeah. he's a heroin addict. And, As uh, is authentic falls, to a jazz head. I feel like yeah, he does it so, because he wants the whole experience, you know? Yeah, so he's doing the he's in the bathroom drooling, tube tied on his arm. He's not dead. They're on the road again. Johnny Five has been pulled off to the side of the highway to nap because like no one else was, everyone else was sleeping, and it was a long ride. And the cops bang on the window, and he gets arrested. And it's like bizarre because the cop like yeah. is instantly goes to a hundred, and they take off, leaving Lewin with Roland. But with no keys. Knotted off so, rolling, no keys, and the cat. There's no due process here. There's no like protocol. But think about this. Which kind of speaks to the beat kind of of Johnny Five's character. He's just gone forever. Oh, that's true. Yeah, Johnny Five just gets hauled away like at the beginning of that fucking uh George A. Romero jousting movie we watched. He's just sure. that dude. But um uh check out that frame rate with Soren Bowie. Yeah. Night Riders, great episode. But I, yeah, of course it is a beat poet's role to get hassled by the cops and hauled away for nothing, for not doing nothing. But I also think it's really interesting that Lewin Davis is now in an altered but very philosophically similar situation to there was a locked room and he and the cat are outside. Now there's a locked room and he and the cat are inside. Yeah. So in the first case, it wasn't his fault that the cat's in danger with good intentions, he mistakenly let the cat out, and now he can't get back in. In this mm -hmm. case, he intentionally leaves the cat in the car and goes about his business, which you know is not... There could have been worse things, like letting the cat out into the wild, probably more dangerous, but leaving it in the car with the knotted-out heroin addict is basically abdicating all responsibility for the cat, which is just a shitty, yeah. fucked-up, lazy thing to do. After well, you we'll thought, find out what happens to the cat. Right, but, <laughs> but, yeah. but it's this, you thought that the cat mattered to him only because they've spent mm -hmm. time together, and you realize that he's so honed in, he feels like, it's like in Whiplash. He's like, no, I'm an artist. I can't have things like 
friends, cats. Like, I have to just keep going. These are burdens to the art. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so and that's the last we behind. see John Goodman ever in the movie, which I think is interesting. Yeah. And before we and move he goes on, to Chicago. Uh, the an image that I just know we won't mention later. That's great. When he's in the shitter about to hear John Goodman OD, he happens to see serendipitous graffiti that just says, what are you doing? That's very resonant to me. It's very beat, too, you know, to see, like, a resonant graffiti wall. So he gets to Uh, Chicago, finally, just by hitchhiking. the gates of horn, after he just kind of sleeps around, like, the, like, random places in order to get there. He gets soaking wet in the snow. It's not important. He's at his last, last It's paying homage to, yeah, he's paying homage to, that's the, this is the Coen Brothers paying homage to, like, the road movie. It's just like, yeah, it's, like montages of you know people sleeping at places but they also really places. push it of like over music his clothes are worn through his shoes are soaked like yeah. this better work he's pretty fucked a lot of cops <laughs> yeah, knock yeah. on windows and go like move along you know, Ooh. Bum. but from a craftsman perspective i did write down and i just want to appreciate the sheer efficiency of show don't tell in the scene it's mm-hmm. a one shot cut to lewin's asleep at a bench in the bus station uh, just the leg and the arm of a cop approach and enter frame. The cop knocks on the thing with a nightstick. Yep. Lewin wakes up, and the cop in a friendly voice says, hey, what train are you waiting for? Cut out of scene. You know every... It's one thing. line. It's one... Do you know, like, in any other movie, you know that would happened? be eight lines. Yeah. Like, like, the efficiency Yeah, we would actually sit staggering. there and go through, like, the typical scene we've all seen a hundred times where yeah. it's like, oh, yes... Move along. Uh, now Nothing, you're going. Move along. Move along. Yeah. Oh, you fucking. God, they're so efficient. You know, like, yeah. Yeah, they're just like yeah, and then that happened. Uh, he gets to yeah, Bud so Grossman's office. He gets office. to the gates of yeah. horn. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the guy had. This is the guy that supposedly uh, was sent the records. Mel sent the records month ago. Grossman has not received any records. So Mel it kind of says a lot. Or has Mel no sucks. faith in Lewin because he did do good yeah. job work for Troy. Exactly. Even Bud Grossman is like, oh yeah, he did send Troy's shit. Troy, he has a future. I like that kid. And so Grossman's this great man who could solve everything for him. And Grossman does exactly what the Gorfiends did, which is like, all right, sell it. He, Play me a song. Yeah, he goes, oh, I'm a great musician, is the subtext. And he goes, but you're right here. Right, Might so as well just play. Play me something from... Inside Lewin Davis, title drop and name of the album. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, by the way, here's where I want to note that uh, you're slightly off when you said what was what John Goodman said it was it was G G C G C D G, which is what he plays. In oh, his Death of Queen song. Jane. That's the chord progression. It, that's the chord progression that's the during thing the is, segment of it. His picking and his hammers on and off, and the acting yeah, and his yeah, voice. Pretty good. It takes a lot of skill to play the song that well. It doesn't matter how right. simple the chord progression is. Yeah. 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 But it's just funny that, like, for that song, dude, it's exactly what John. Well, it's Goodman totally to put him in his place. You're like, you think yeah. you're better than everyone around you because you're good at one very narrow thing that most people aren't even interested in: folk music. And mm-hmm. yes, you do it great, and it has an emotional impact. I think I'm better than you because I'm good at an even narrower thing, jazz, that even fewer people care about. It's like, and where does says, this end, Lewin? You're, don't, is that what you want to be? So Bud Grossman says the most, the worst thing uh, you could ever say uh, to him. Uh, uh, I got the quote. 
I don't see a lot of money here. And he is in shadow, you're, and Bud Grossman is in a beautiful angelic halated light. Yeah. You're okay. You're not green. So I don't have what Troy Nelson has. Good kid. He connects with Yeah. People. Oh, you know Troy? Good kid. Good kid. He connects Next with scene, people. he finds a driver going back to New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. So I don't see a lot of money here. Over. Career over. Anyone who's struggled in a creative industry that is a business before it is an art form, yeah. but you care more about art and that's why you got into it. That's like, uh, that's like, uh, you know, Mr. White getting gut shot in Reservoir Dogs. Like that moment is right. brutal, dude. Brutal. The, Mr. The Orange little, getting gut shot. Sorry. And the, the appending to the scene, the bitter, like it's the, so oh, true. Fucking, it's a business. Oh, you, He's like, I could see he's a part of a duo. Oh, he gives him an option to progress in a minor way if he wants. Uh, the quote is, if you cut that down to a goatee, stay out of the sun. I can put you with a trio. Are you good with harmonies? So I just want to unpack the subtext very simply. I'm only shallow. I, want, I care about your looks. I'm also racist, but I am offering you an opportunity. You'll have to compromise with two other people. Are you good with harmonies, a.k.a. are you good at working with other people? Yes. The subtext, every, that short line is so packed with, look, Lewin, this is it, but it comes with this and this and this. Yeah, the guy really, the guy you'll have to work for really is a prick. He's fucking racist. Please, Mr. Kennedy. And he says, yeah. um, are you good with harmonies? No. I mean, yes, I am, but no, I had a partner. And he says, well, that makes sense. As if to say, oh, I can tell that you're incomplete. You're, you're not good. You come across as incomplete. Yeah. And he says. He, he's assuming, I think, that he, like, they that broke they up. Broke up reality. Which, to me, the most haunting line as someone who's dealt with suicidal thoughts, you know, on and off in my life yeah. is, my advice, get back together. Now, he doesn't know what he's saying, but the subtext of that is, jump off a bridge. Go see Mike. Right. Like, you know Go what I mean? Mike. You're done here, yeah. dude. You're done. You're done. <laughs> and it's the wizard. It's Gandalf telling you this. It's like the sorting hat going, oh, this kid's done. Get him the fuck out of here. <laughs> Better be Slytherin. <laughs> yeah, no money in it. <laughs> ah, fuck this shit. Uh, so, yeah, he, they're going. The, he and the driver are going to take tandem drives. Uh, going back to Jersey because that's where he goes after he gets out of the Gates of Horn. Yep. And they pass through Akron. So he sees Akron, which is where his two-year-old child lives. Well, very specifically, the guy he's hitching with is asleep, so he's driving. So and there's alone in silence, they pass the exit to Akron. He, yeah. That's the whole and scene. And he is literally the one driving at this point. And they, such tense shots for just such little effort. The shots of... Uh, like you start to the way the camera moves from the highway to kind of what your field of view would be when you're exiting a highway. That's what the camera does to do with the, to to reveal the sign and keep the sign in frame. Oh God, I'm... And it just keeps cutting back and forth between him looking. They are like, oh, is he gonna do it? Is he gonna do it? Is he gonna do it? And it just passes by, and he's just I. This is looks one forward. of the to me. It's so tense. Most standout moments of the film for my money. This is the greatest impact a scene of inaction or lack of action has ever yes, had on me exactly. in the history of film. The fact Be that yes. with only a couple lines of setup previous in the film, 
it's a scene of a guy driving straight and not exiting and just passing a sign that says Akron. And in the theater, I fucking burst into tears, dude. Like, that's your like, chance at like, happiness, motherfucker. Done, Don't you, you could see? Reinvent yourself. You could reinvent yourself you could, and you just you be choose important. not to because you want to value art over family, over anything else that's not art. And you just so of you course, do it to yourself, you do, well, and that's what really hurts. <laughs> so while further down the way, while it's snowing, uh, it gets a little less, things get a little less visible. Gotta say, though, and in he, that moment, I love, and I don't know if it's intentional, but I love this reading of it. You were describing the perfect, smooth, steady cam turn, and it is great. Yeah. As it turns, a car that looks very much like the car he's driving Mm-hmm. parallel to him also, does yeah. take the exit to Akron. So if you're talking like the double slit experiment or quantum waveforms or Schrodinger's cat, if you're talking he's in this arena, himself. which the Coens yeah. are interested in because I swear to God, they reference it a lot. Uh, the uncertainty principle, basically it comes up yeah. in their work all the time, man, who wasn't there. Um, so this, it's like you see his car split off in an alternate reality and go off and try like try a different it's way of life and he watches it go. He just watches it, yeah. it go. Yeah. Oh, it's that it can both be true. It can, you know, it's just, uh, but in this case, it's the reality we're, we're in. Left with, he skipped it because we recorded it and therefore we changed yeah. it. And the, re- the recording of it is the passing of time. Then what happens? And what changed is he, <laughs> then further along the way, while he, it snows, he hits an orange-haired tabby cat, blood on the fender. Shro- the literally is- a Schrodinger's cat because w- there's no way to possibly know if it's yeah. the cat he abandoned or not. We'll never know. But it's the cat he abandoned. It's how many orange-haired tabby cats are just kicking it on the it's f- symbolic, highway? But then how did that cat get out on of the, the way to car? Akron. I guess when John Goodman woke up and opened the door. Yeah, of course. Why would that cat? That's the thing is, because later, and we'll unpack this more in pedagogy, but there's a pointed moment that almost seems extraneous until you think deeply about it, where he looks at a movie poster for the movie that came out that year, The Incredible Journey, the Disney movie. Do you think that that's part of that movie poster is not foreshadowing, but post-shadowing, that the caddy hit was trying to return to him, like was trying to come home, so it came to his car, so he hit it? Is that the thing? So we have a road in the exit, and I just want to ask you right now, Swaim, do you mind if I just rush through the end right now on, so we can answer that question fully? Because I feel like there's a bunch of stuff that happens, and it resolves it, but like I feel like we can quickly go through the final Yeah, 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 yeah. let's plow movie. on. I highlighted let's it, plow so we'll on. come back. Okay, so he hits the cat. The cat limps away into the snowy night while snow falls, and this is important, reverberant diegetic opera plays which a makes it haunting but is also a setup later um because the car door is open and opera's on the radio mm-hmm. uh so then the next he gets, he's he given up back on to jersey music. he's gonna take his sister's advice and join the merchant marines you go mm-hmm. and he hasn't but when he gets there he hasn't paid his dues so he can't ship out it's a catch so he pays to yeah he has to pay to get a job so he now has no more money then he visits his dad as a convalescent home, plays a song, and of his course... His dad shits his pants. <laughs> shits his pants because he's old. I would argue that... He, uh, it, it's kind of a wonder... Well, it's another Schrodinger's cat. His expression mm-hmm. very intentionally, we'll never know, and I think it's intentional that it truly is uncertain, whether he was moved by the, his son's song and then also shit his pants because he's old, or shit his pants as a statement on the song. 
It could be right. either, and it's you very believably either. Yeah, <laughs> okay, keep going. He, he, so he goes back to Joy to get a shipping license, but after the previous uh, visit to his sister, he told her to throw all that stuff out. So now he doesn't have a shipping license. So he returns to Gene and Jim's, tells her that he's out, he's going back to the Merchant Marine, and he turns down a gig at Poppy's, uh, which is, you know, the place that we saw before, the venue that Gene and, uh, uh, Gene and Jim frequent. He returns to the dock, takes $85 to replace the, spends a, uh, takes $85 to repurchase the license, get his unions back, but he doesn't, so he doesn't have that job and it still has no money. So he just had to spend money to get the license. He has to wait for it, can't get that job. He just spent 200 yeah. like however it was $285 to not We have thought anything. he was a zero and it turns out he could go even deeper. Now he's like completely right. fucked and the movie again And he literally pulls out like a few dollars. The movie ends with uncertainty in the sense that you still don't know what his job's going to be or how he's going to feed himself or where he's going to yeah. live when the movie ends. Um, I also think it's important that he's judgmental all the way up to the end. He doesn't change in that regard. No, His sister not. says, how was it seeing dad? And he says, oh, great. It's good to see what I have to look forward to. Sure, you put in hard years, but it obviously all pays off being super mm -hmm. sarcastic. And then he says, I'm a fucking dick, right? And she says, yeah. So uh, he's judgmental to the end, and that's important. He takes the gig at the gaslight now because now he has For no like money. old times sake and, and make a couple bucks, and yeah. Yeah, and then he has a scene with Poppy where he he implies that he fucked Jean to allow her to play the gaslight, which is like just Poppy the whole time has just been like he he's ridiculous. He represents kind of the worst audience member. Impulses. He's crass. Yeah, and he's he, like their friend, but they'll be fine with his bullshit in order to get. They're gigs. like you like, love. He, you're a big. They sell you're a big out. supporter of folk music. You let all the folk yeah. people play here. Yeah, because they all suck my dick, and it makes X so, amount of money. It's like the worst. Per exactly. way to it's appreciate the worst art, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's a it's a commentary on how much they are actually sellouts because they'll they'll do anything to just get a gig if it means they look like to people mm -hmm. that they're like exactly what they want to look like. But that's you know that's my own. Yeah, reading. but Jean is a gets, in a tragic position as well. I think yeah. she really is. Lewin gets drunk and angry because of all these reasons, and he starts to heckle just a precious old lady who's playing her first gig in New York. And he just ruins everything. She's up there with the auto harp and she's just trying to sing her song and he's just laying into her. And he, he even goes to the point that he pushes Poppy out of the way while he's trying to be restrained. Yeah. So he's got like no job, no gig, no place to stay. Uh, and can I just, even, I want to say, cause the impact is important. Uh, that's yes. very intentionally. I think the first time where he's so over the line, even after all he's been through and understanding what desperation he, he's in, they intentionally set up a situation where you're like, there's no excuse though. Like you're a dick now. This is like fucked up. You're a, you're a jerk. Yeah. You're, um, you're, you're being unnecessarily cruel. Truly all is yeah. lost. So he says, where's your hay bale? Where's your corn cob pipe? Why aren't you wearing gingham panties? Show us your panties. I hate fucking folk music. I fucking hate folk music. And as they drag him out, he says to the line out front, the fucking show is bullshit for Mix and Grandma Moses, referring to four guys who sang Irish sea shanties. And the lady. And it's like, uh, it's the dark night of the soul, but not even in terms of his desperation, but in terms of he's lost himself to like, now he's cruel. Now he is an asshole. It's all validated. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's 
becoming rolling. So in desperation, he goes back to the Gorfiends, the squares that can always be counted on because they are white and rich and they have guilt and they want to feel like artists. So they they not only forgive him, but like they're like, don't even worry about what an asshole you were last time. They're like overwhelmingly we kind. Love you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the guests also mentions, have you listened to Please Mr. Kennedy and talks about how royalties will be. And how it's, yeah, a hit on the radio and shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, so it's just like, you know, salt in the wound. Randomly, they find out that their cat came back and we find out this is the, the original cat he lost in the first scene, second scene. And they yeah. find out, we find out the audience that his name is Ulysses and it's, a, that's his and name it's important because he goes, that's its name. And, uh, it's funny cause nothing that's more is said of it, name? but it's like, Hey audience, I don't know if you want a clue to unlocking this movie, start here. The cat's name is Ulysses. Yeah. Think about that. That's it. We'll get to that's it shortly. Get, yeah. Um, yeah. he wakes up in a start, the cat's purring on his chest. He walks back to the gaslight to have his gig even though he got thrown out poppy's like again he's kind in his own fucked up way he's like i don't care mm -hmm. people are assholes people get in fights you can still play here uh on the way he passes a movie poster for incredible journey and he uh ferris bueller's it he stares at it for a while and it zooms in on it mm -hmm. and the tagline is nothing but instinct to guide them across 200 miles of canadian wilderness uh it is a precursor of homeward bound a Disney movie about uh, <laughs> right. two cats and a dog surviving in the wild. Right. Um, he gets to the gig. He says, one more song before I go, then I got to go. And he plays Fare Thee Well, which is the song he played in the first scene. You realize the and first is scene the is the last scene, but there's an additional there's shot the as he leaves the venue because Poppy says, someone wanted to see you in the alley. We see fucking restored footage and like CG insertion of Bob Dylan, young Bob Dylan, coming up and delivering what has to be one of his very first performances ever. And he starts with a different song, but a song that's also called Fare Thee Well. So, yeah, they're playing different versions of the same song and they are like mirror images of each other as they as he leaves for the alley. Uh we find out that the guy from the beginning who beat him up was Betty's husband, the old woman he heckled. So now you're like, oh, when I first saw this, I thought it was a precious art flower getting trampled by a cruel man. Now I'm kind of on the dude's side. Like, Lewin should get his ass kicked for this. Yeah, um, you piece of shit. He j she just wanted to play a gig in New York one time yeah. on, like, a bucket list. It was list her dream. Thing. My wife up there trying it. to fucking sing, and he punches him. Like, this whole movie in a sense, is the one line from Oh Brother, you're not wrong, you're just an asshole. That's like the whole theme. Oh, Big Lebowski. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Big Lebowski, sorry. Um, and then I think very importantly, Lewin hobbles, wounded, out of the alley while we hear diegetic folk music echoing in the alley really reverberantly, just like the fucking just, cat walking into the I was the just going to say he howls like a cat. Yeah, he says meow and licks his hands and pets his yeah. nose. And... Yeah. Uh, uh, very importantly as well, which is the message that Lewin could never get, I think. And the, the reason we see all these people that have all these dreams is the husband says, he goes, uh, people talk, man. It's not the fucking opera. It's a show. And he goes, it wasn't your show, asshole. Like, it's not always your show. 
Life is not right. always your show. And right. you can try to make it your show. You will suffer. The, life will not lose that fight. <laughs> so, no. Uh, he says uh, au revoir and waves goodbye to the guy. And that's the end of the movie. Pedagogy. <laughs> yes. Okay, you, you, uh, you start. So, this movie is kind of new brand, a brand new Cohen. I mean, we talked about a serious man. Yeah. But it's uh, it's very strange because a reason I think it's in its own category a little bit is because, like in this podcast, we've been kind of analyzing their work as a dichotomy of films being like nihilistic or not. In Fargo, for example, uh, Jerry Lundegaard is overreaching and petty. He's come up and says that he's left it's more with of a nothing classic and Greek tragedy. Yeah. Yeah, including like yeah, neoclassical. Yeah, uh, like he causes deaths of multiple people indirectly to his actions. In No Country, for example, though, uh, people die who do not deserve it. Car crashes, wreck plans, serendipity runs. A there is cetera, no God in Cormac McCarthy's world. Yeah, yeah. This movie is hard to pin down because the characters are very nebulous. Most are shown like in a pivotal or transitionary moment at uh, in their lives, but at the same time, nothing plot wise is advancing them towards like immediate choices. Right. Mm -hmm. They're just kind of, especially our protagonist is just kind of like he chooses to go to Chicago because it was offered to him. And he realizes, hey, you know what? Bud Gossman is there, even though he doesn't outrightly even say it. He doesn't have a want other than just to exist and be uh, he does have a want, which is to be like admired for his folk art. But he's not actively doing that day to day really he's not doing something and overreaching he's not doing something and making an active choice he's kind of just trying to get there and complaining about the life not giving him his he's moment he's complaining about uh, the fact that life has randomness and owes you nothing right. which is something i struggle with constantly of like thinking if I haven't achieved XYZ career goal, it must be because I suck. You know, like reverse engineering it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It must be that I don't you, deserve it or I'm the, not talented enough to achieve that. And I It's the fraud um thing. It's yeah, the, the imposter the, syndrome thing. Yeah. And what's exactly. it's stunning to me because the Cohen brothers I don't think have firsthand experience with that or at the time they're making this film it's been a long time dude because of all the artists in our medium to walk the face of the goddamn earth they must know and be aware that it did kind of work out for them like just like us you and me man <laughs> their dream was i just want to make a movie about whatever i want i just want to tell the people the story and i want all the resources i need to do that and they got it at a young enough age that they got to pump out 12 whatevers, like whatever the fuck they want. That is the dream. Like that is full artistic fulfillment, I think. And not a lot of people get that. You're talking Kubrick, Anderson, Coen brothers, like the heavy hitters. The fact that they can identify with such searing honesty and truth, what the pain of not getting that. Do you know what I mean? How can they? Yeah, absolutely. How can they I mean, write this screenplay? They didn't live through this. They got the. They won the lotto. They absolutely did, though. They they did, but they uh, they also lived the other thing. You know, like it's yeah, it's just the amount of time that we like we've spent in one situation and they spent in that situation. It's also second guessing each other for you know. It's being able to sympathize with that thought. Uh, having to walk in someone's shoes doesn't. Yes, that that is key to empathy but for sympathy 
it only really needs to be thought about and you know yes. uh, on a deeper level, which is what they're capable of. But I just of. I don't know why, the amount of grief that they've had in their life. Exactly. But they can speak very eloquently about grief. Exactly, and, and I, I just feel, have to imagine that like some of that comes from their prodigious sympathy and writing ability. It just blows my mind mm-hmm. that like you know they uh, the fucking range, dude. The guys who yeah. wrote this wrote Hudsucker Proxy and Barton Fink. It's bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah, exactly. Delightful. I guess I mean to say that these characters feel like their outlooks, like the trivial things they get angry about. Mm-hmm. Now the abortion is kind of the exception of the rule because it's the theme <laughs> of the movie. How trivial. <laughs> and it serves as a symbol of what the movie is about, yeah. But all these random things like Lost Cats, Bad Folk well, Song lyrics, and, and abortion, they... who and where will they sleep and stuff yeah. like that. All these things express about how they feel about one thing, but no one talks about the whole movie. The plot doesn't have important consequences because like Mike and the abortion, like it's kind of dead on arrival. Although you like, just we're made kind me of realize... Just in the transition. You just made me realize, which I had not realized till this very moment... A baby that you don't know who the father is is another fucking Schrodinger's cat, dude. Yes, they're exactly. fucking everywhere. <laughs> they're fucking everywhere. It's uh, it's it's fucked up. It's fucked uh, up, man. That's <laughs> this movie that's is what up. that's why I, what I mean when I say it's like a classic morality play that isn't a classic morality play, and it's about grief. What do you mean? It's because <laughs> so grief is something that you can be in one instance happy and you can be in one instance sad it's the paradox that we live in our lives that we can humans can be alive and be dead and we can like time writes it down but ultimately like the human experience and the human condition is like living with consequences of events happening and ultimately they can all be true uh, and that is like the kind of uncertainty principle we have to live with that paradox every day. And grief is just the way it manifests itself individually. It's just like, I can be laughing. Like I can be at a funeral and just start laughing. Say your George you know, Bernard Shaw you know, you want to No, that's actually not the, that's it I, I applies though. Fine. It does apply. It applies. Then to I'll everything. say my I bare naked ladies quote. I'm the kind yeah, of guy who will laugh at a funeral. Don't understand what I mean? Well, you soon will. Soon Let's will. move on. <laughs> you soon will. But do you know what I mean? Like how grief yes. is kind of the Schrodinger's cat And if cat he's the cat. Emotion. <laughs> he saves the cat. He loves the cat. He loses the cat. He abuses he the, cat, the cat. He abandons the cat. Those are all positions I take with myself all internally all happen. the time. Yes. Right. And it's, they don't all happen at once necessarily, but they have, like, you, you can feel that way about yes. all those things at the and same time. And I think time. it speaks to, in fact, this is something about filmmaking and all storytelling, is that storytelling exists to streamline and categorize events to make a sensible story that seems like it doesn't have too many extraneous pieces that don't mean anything. Because that way it's clear and you get the moral or the point or the strong emotional response that you wanted if it's horror or whatever. You just want to be scared and it did that. Um, right. It's amazing to me that, again, which the Coens love, this film's giving you pure uncertainty and yet no one for a second is like, this feels just like serious man. This feels just like no country for old men, even though at their core, they're all obsessed with the same points and themes and truths of life. Like you do Mm -hmm. when you deep dive into an artist, you always find 
what are they obsessed with? And I think we've gotten there with the Coen brothers, and I'm really pleased by that. Because yeah, coming in, because I knew there was like a yeah. nihilist streak, but I think I understand it so much more deeply now and more specifically. It's not sheer nihilism. It's the uncertainty principle is deeply fascinating to them. Yeah, I, I think the paradox of being human and the I, is another yeah, way of saying it. And the idea that if you don't streamline that, like in real life, real, real life, I don't know about you, but if you monitor, if I monitor my emotional state, for example, my cat just died, Lamar, who's a great cat. You know him. He's great. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm really sad, right? But then there's obviously like a second later, if something distracts me, I can forget and laugh about something and then remember and get exactly. sad again. And exactly. stories avoid that because it's confusing and messy. But I think yeah. this is a story that nods to... Man, every don't you ever get the feeling that every second you inhabit a hundred different emotional spaces. When you actually step back and look at your emotional state, it's almost wildly incongruous. Cause like it, well, it's, it's not like, like I, a I, movie. I'm in the middle of feeling one and I just start to think about a different one. Right. And then I can just like switch. It's not like a movie know? where, oh, their their uh husband died. So that character, he's gonna be sad for Every day, every second of every day until mm -hmm. his grief processes, then he won't be sad in a later scene. Yeah. And it's like, no, the next day you could laugh at a commercial because you forget for a second and then you cry because you remember this shit is wild. Mm -hmm. It goes all over the map. Yeah, because <laughs> other days I like am a cat. Like seeped in like a cats. funk or I'm seeped in a function and I hit that same switch that usually can work where I can like transport myself to a different emotion. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't work. And I'm just like, well, what the fuck? I thought the, you told me the rules, brain. Yes. You told me how, how this works. And then today you're just not going to work. That's exactly like a cat. Yes. Yeah, they're like, it's like oh, it works cats. to say. I just like usher him and I, he, went out, he went back inside. Or this time he's just like, I'm not fucking moving. You know, it's just like, all right, I don't know the rules yeah. that operate this machinery. Uh, so it's, it's a fucking ride, man. And yeah, one uh, pattern is that he, they show repeatedly that there are opportunities that he could have taken to access joy from other quadrants of life, like mm -hmm. actually bonding with a cat or like, why couldn't he own his own cat or see his son or take that job in the trio that Bud Grossman offered. So it's like, and I do think this is true of life. A bunch of it is random talent doesn't guarantee success. Um, but some of it, things are more likely to turn out one way or the other based on how you behave. If you're a judgmental dick all the time, it's way more likely you will end up alone and cynical and bitter. There were opportunities for you, Lewin, to access joy from a different, unexpected direction. You you abdicated all those opportunities. Yeah, just fucking spark joy, Lou. Spark joy, Lou. And what's amazing uh, is your music does spark joy, and you can't even appreciate it anymore. That's how far gone... Cause it's got you gotta got they gotta him. love it in the way that you want them to love it. Uh, I want to talk more about the cats. Sure. What do you think that the cat is symbolic of? All right, so here's my theory, and I came to this without internet research, so there might be a more cohesive version online. But when I realized the cat's name is Ulysses, and Ulysses mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, Greek and Roman have different names for similar things. Odysseus. It's Odysseus. Yeah. Obviously, yet again, like O oh Brother, he does go on a meandering, wandering journey. 
Um, but I also think it's very important that he sees that poster for Incredible Journey, the Disney movie, because it's about cats. It, there's a dog in there, too, but there's two cats. And he is a cat, as is established. He's a cranky loner who's weird. It's a duo. He's, yeah. It's also important. It's a duo. And it's about trusting your instincts and finding your way home. And he mm-hmm. it's Milo trusts and his <laughs> instincts and doesn't find his way home. Um, which I think right. is that uncertainty and there's no promises thing. Very pointedly, Odysseus gets everything he wanted. That's the Odyssey. He gets home, he gets his wife back, he gets his kid back, he kills everyone who hit on his wife while he was gone. Yep. And he like beats it's all great. The awesome yeah. monsters and stuff. And yeah. to me, it's that's the full so what blew my mind if it's intentional is Ulysses and Odysseus, by their very nature, are two names that are both common that represent the same thing. The Incredible Journey is an adaptation of the Odyssey, which again raises the specter of two facets of what boils down to the same thing. I would argue that Incredible Journey is famous mostly for the fact that it's been overshadowed by Homeward Bound, the more recent Disney movie about animals finding their way home. So it's like Incredible Journey is also a notable dual thing, like Ants and Bugs Life. And... It's just all beautifully structurally supporting this overwhelming feeling that this movie is about alternate parallel versions of things. Lewin Davis is Bob Dylan in an alternate reality where he's equally talented, but the algorithm of life didn't go his way. And the movie is about the fact that any true artist must finally face imposter syndrome and either beat it or be beaten by it. Either you think your art is worth doing because it helps people in some way or you just like it yourself or you accept that you have a talent, you have a knack for it or you just enjoy it or you don't and you measure your artistic successes only by the level of achievement and respect you get from the outside world and things like, is it deep? Is it important? Does it represent my pain? And if you peg yourself worth to only that... you either win the lottery and become Bob Dylan or you will be absolutely crushed. Like you've painted yourself into a corner where those are the stakes. And so he's Bob Dylan if Bob Dylan didn't win the lottery. And I really do believe like there are more talented people that deserve to make movies than there are budgets to make movies. So Mm -hmm. from a certain point onward, it's like hang out in this waiting room, keep your skills sharp, stay talented the lottery ball will come down every once in a while and one of you will get to go make a movie. Uh, Some of you will wait in this room your entire lives. So you better find something like enjoyable to do to pass the time or you're going to be fucked. And that's what I think the movie's about to me. (laughs) Is that, and where's the cat play and all of that? Oh, that, that's what I think it's, well, first of all, I think it's literally meant to invoke the image of Schrodinger's cat because it's a cat. But right. also because, uh, you know, Lewin goes in and out of doors. It, like, it would be a spirit animal. You can see why. Oscar Isaacs has soulful, that's, mysterious eyes. He's a loner. I think that's, yeah, he's tied to it by his name. I, I think 
I think what the cat represents to me most. Well, you're a Joyce scholar uh, too. I want to hear your Joyce connections. Right. So the reason that Joyce is even in this conversation is that he was equally subversive. So he was the guy who did the same exact thing that you just said to Odyssey and subverted it in the way that like Telemachus is like a, you know, abandoned son as is Penelope and abandoned, you know, wife and stuff like that. And it's all and about is, the Odyssey. Is that fitting? And Leopold Bloom's. Sorry, is that fitting? No, that's, wait, which one is Leopold Bloom? I don't even know. Ulysses. Ulysses. Is, that, okay, of course. Yeah. Okay, so Ulysses, uh, well, that makes sense because it's called Ulysses. Leopold Bloom is a guy who kind of just travels around town, ambles. He's kind of a peddler. I didn't know that was based uh, on the Odyssey. Okay. Yeah, it's ba- all down. all the chapters are broken out off into uh, you know like you know sirens and you know gotcha. eaters sure. and stuff like that, and they, that kind of falls like I I, I want to keep talking about the Odyssey, but just quickly a, a word on cats. Um, I think that the cat is really trying is representative of Lewin, obviously through all the things uh, there's even more citations but we there's don't there's tons to go of connections it. it's clear there's he's tons the of cat. connections he's the cat all but right? if you just think of it, okay that's what the Cohen brothers are doing well it's just the mere actions of what the cat does and what he does to the cat that that becomes interesting mm-hmm. because he's constantly getting losing the cat he's either trying to get the cat to go somewhere trying to get it back somewhere thinking he has or he's it back but he was wrong it's a loser when that con yeah yeah, so when that context starts, I think a, a theme starts to form, which is that the, you can tie the cat, especially, uh, you can tie the cat essentially to what Lewin's self-identity is and where he's at in his life. So if he's the cat and he's abandoning it or he's losing it, it has to deal in the wake of all of this fucking uh, suicide of Mike. And so right. when he loses the cat, he's losing like his own version of himself that's holding on to Mike when he's losing his, when he abandons his cat, he's losing the authenticity of it being a musician. Right. And well, it's all subtext. And when Lillian scenes. sings Mike's part, that's what tips him over the edge. So it's like saying, right. uh, maybe other people would deal with their grief by wanting it to be filled with loving support. I don't, I want mm-hmm. the whole, I want Mike to still feel gone and missing. Don't fill in Mike's part. I want to meditate on Mike not being here. Um, Uh, There's a lot of conversation to be had, and I'll never know the answer as long as I live, whether that's like healthy and what needs to happen or whether it's blocking love and healing out, you know? But it's how he operates. It's how it, uh, there's a scene with, we reference the scene where she says, everything you do turns to shit, Jean de Lewin, where she, they talk about leaving the window open, but it's winter. That's Jean saying, literally, I'm moving on. Yeah. You are keeping the window open to keep this stupid idea that Mike is still alive or something. And that you need to wallow in this self-pity of how it's ruined you. And how it's sad, and yes, it is, but I'm moving forward. I want to have a baby with Jim. I want to do things with my life. Lewin, you're just, I don't, you don't even She's know what like, you're going. She's like, I'm actually going. ready to close the window and light a cozy fire, and who cares? And fucking let the cat Who die, cares if I happen to whatever. be wearing an old navy sweater or I'm a sellout? Like, I'm ready to close the window yeah. against the harsh elements. And he's like, no, I want the open window with the wind cutting me. Yeah, I that's, want, like, he fetishizes his pain, which is often, that's another huge, I think, trap that artists fall into is that 
if this art comes from pain, it's more important. It becomes more important. It's the reason yeah. the movies that win Oscars win Oscars and comedies don't. Even though craftsmanship-wise, they're equally challenging. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And it's like, so we're literally seeing how a, ma- a, a man is mismanaging guilt and he's letting the ghosts that shouldn't mm-hmm. but are haunting mm-hmm. him. Like, it's just, it's a great, it's a great uh, device. I want also for you, just because we can't have an episode of uh, fucking uh, Coen Brothers without like just, what do the Coen's brothers say have to say about this? Sure. And I found this interview uh, when... Uh, want to know what Joel Cohen has to say about the cat? <laughs> There's a uh, quote. Wait, 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 says, wait, wait. Let me guess. Um, oh, I don't know. We were just hammering out the scripts over a long weekend, and I saw a dog, and Ethan was like, what about a cat? And I was like, I don't care. Put it in. Is it something like that, Abe? Because that's what it's, they always say, the fuckers. It's eerily close. <laughs> okay. His quote is, the film doesn't really have a plot, that concerned us at one point, so we threw the cat in. You are full of shit, Cohen brothers. <laughs> no one, no one is listening to shit, Joel. All my right, favorite, you're dunking on no God, one. My favorite thing about the Cohen brothers. You think J.J. Abrams is the king of the mystery box? No, it's the Cohen brothers. It's going a whole career just with themselves. It's the whole, going it's not a whole about career. The story, it's themselves creating meticulously crafted structuralist i would argue from like the structuralist school of thought art mm-hmm. and uh titling your gallery show like i don't know whatever in comic sans font it's like yeah. fuck you yeah. you know what you're doing dude it's, shut up you might as well be in an interview but if you're the common brothers you might as well be interviewing a baby that every time you ask a question of like you did a really interesting like like symbolism maneuver what did you do is that what you intended and they put their finger to their fucking lips and go i don't know <laughs> yeah. and then they paint a picasso and you're like great yeah. and you're just like yeah, i fucking eat this baby uh, <laughs> So yeah, that's that's what I think about the cat. And there's also there's there's kind of a another thing about it. Like there's a doppel cat. There's an on on a authentic there's cat. There's either the cat two where, or three cats. It's uncertain, which I love. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that the reason that's done is more for the uh, Schrodinger's aspect of it. But I think it's also it's literally in when you look at the structure of the film, it's when the cat pivots from being it's act one cat versus act two cat and it's uh it pivots from the cat literally represent what act one is dealing with which is him not moving on from mike Mm -hmm. and act two cat where he will not move away from uh, his own quote-unquote version of authenticity so there's like authentic so it's funny there's like the real cat the authentic cat that's about like the grief cat and then there's the second cat which is the doppelcat which is actually the uh, the authenticity cat. I don't know. I just wanted to I point think that that's out. That's true. That, like, as there's two cats, yeah. there's two symbolic meanings we're supposed to pull from those cats. Right, because the thing about Lewin and what makes him a tragic figure is his grief comes from a real place, but he not only wants to dwell in his grief and takes on more grief, he abdicates chances to process grief or go toward joy. It's both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's more than one cat. Um, yeah. All right. You got more? I'm out more of pedagogy. Stuff. Go ahead. I got two. I have one little bit. I have two small things. One is about the great man. Called your which testicles, is, my friend. Yeah, uh, the great man, which is something that I uh, was not penned by me. That's something that 
uh, I read a thing from the Dude's Paper, which is a website about Coen Brothers symbology, and I assume trivia. Um, but the writer's Todd Alcott, which he was the one who found out, which is like a great epiphany to me, that almost all filmmakers at a certain point uh, have a great man that represents authority. And you can find it in every single one of those films. I think that that's a really... Like, I'm surprised I didn't come to that realization. Because we talked about how they all kind of deal with crime. We talk about how they all have to kind of deal with nihilism or Schrodinger's uh, uncertainty principle. Mm -hmm. But we never really talked about the fact that they kind of, they always, they have this very flirtatious kind of experience with uh, authority. Where they always kind of play authority the same way. Where it's either they are being hunted by an authoritative figure like, you know, brother with the um, sheriff and he's an oppress oppressive force or they have an authority or like um, Paul uh, Newman in Hudsucker Proxy or they have another version of authority that is someone who you're, it's all leading up to like the Wizard of Oz, like in this movie or in A Serious Man. I just think it's kind of interesting or the, you know, Big Lebowski, the Lebowski. Yeah. There's always someone who it's like all power kind of descends from yeah um and i thought that this one was particularly interesting that's with a Bud. nietzsche thing too the ubermensch yeah it's kind of the ubermensch yeah uh i thought there was a few little moments that you go oh that's kind of interesting and in how lewin de like deals with bud for mm -hmm. example like one of the things is that he will not play like as a monkey or what does he say? I'm not just your. I'm trained, not a trained poodle. I'm not a trained poodle. This isn't a fucking uh, performance parlor. Right. He, he won't do that for the gore finds, but he will do it for someone like Grossman. Sure. And who's based on a real guy, Albert Grossman, who did manage Bob Dylan right. and Peter Paul He will play so, yeah. to Johnny Five and Roland to irritate them. He is a yeah. sellout. He's or there's he always a nature succeed. of sellout. Is that selling to. out? Yeah, because it's like you gotta pay a big pop of capital. <laughs> or is any success right? And it's the same moral sliding scale of like, am I a good person? Well, I could sell all my possessions, give everything to the poor, move to the poorest place in the world, and spend the rest of my life only helping mm. like the worst off people I can find. I don't do that. Does that make me bad? Everything's yeah. on a scale that's very long. It's and here's long another scale. thing <laughs> the paper pointed out about that meeting that I thought was good, which is that you picked up, but I didn't even know that the song he plays at the Gate of Horn is The Death of Queen Jane, which is just for the listeners, a song about a woman in a difficult labor and that she asks her husband, King Henry, to cut her open and perform a C-section. Save the baby. Yeah. To save the baby. And he refuses because he's worried about it, the, it might kill both of them. And because he can't choose... His indecision kills her, even though the baby does live. So it's just like if you if you were ever to look at a morality tale that is less clear, like it's that. Yeah. You know, it's Lewin like what are the results not, yeah. of your your actions? Was it Very worth mixed. it? Who can say? How do you value that life versus that life, etc.? Yeah, such a perfect way to represent the great man with all of his authority of not being and able dude, to give you options, yeah. and also the uncertainty principle as a whole as a theme for this. Film. And a struggling and artist, a struggling artist who longs for commercial success, but specifically because they actually have an authentic relationship to art mm -hmm. and their craft, and they just want to reach people. Um, that's and a question you ask yourself oh, constantly: maybe. is uh, people go like, "Yeah, but is it worth it? All this hustling and dealing with shallow producers mm -hmm. and 
LA toxicity you have to do. And you're like, it will be if I ever one day get to make a movie. If not, then it won't have been. And I don't get to know until later. It fucking sucks. And then to put on top of all of this, the fact that Lewin has a child. So yes. he, so the child did live and the queen, like, so his choice, his lack of decision caused a different result uh, yeah. in the other, in his time stream. The fact that he's going to have an aborted child with Gene and the fact that he's singing this all as a kind of symbolic effort in order to save his career. To which sell might out, essentially, yeah. Symbolically look at it, might also be another read of it. Could be that it could be this situation where that Llewellyn feels that he is Queen Jane with the gift of music inside of himself, willing to die so that the baby <laughs> right. may live. Like, yeah. Or it could be that the King Henry and Queen Jane is his music, and he yeah. feels forced to choose between killing the music to save the baby. This is all, again, stuff that Todd Alcott said. This is not mine, but I just thought it was really, really interesting. Uh, yeah, that's and good it's, shit. it folds right up into our unprinc- uncertainty principle stuff. Nice. Um, the only thing I want to... Like, we don't really do howdy-do-dats unless it's something bespoken. The only I have howdy-do-dats. Okay, I'm happy to move on to howdy-do-dats. We always do, do howdy-do-dats. What are you talking about? Well, sometimes about? we skip past it. And Third do, like, Spectra howdy-do-dat, which is behind-the-scenes nonsense and fun. Um, basically just reading the IMDb trivia page <laughs> and shouting out stuff that's interesting. Uh, but building off of your point that they said the film doesn't have a plot, so we threw in the cat... These motherfuckers, dude. These motherfuckers. motherfuckers. (laughs) They also said, so famously during the production of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? During the promotional tour. I think they just come up with in-jokes to do during the promotional tours. Because during Oh Brother, they repeatedly said they'd never read the Odyssey. Which is possible because Oh Brother, mainly the points that connect are just the tropes of the Odyssey. And I'm aware of them without having read the Odyssey. Although I have read the Odyssey, brag. But um, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm aware of the sirens anyway as a cultural concept. Um, But during the promotional tour for this movie in 2013, they told Terry Gross on Fresh Air, no, we still haven't gotten around to reading it. Because they pointed out that the Odyssey also has imprints on this and the cat's name is Ulysses. One of them said to Gross, quote, yeah, it's right by my bedside table. I keep looking over at it over the years and going, ugh. Like, I don't want to read it because it's boring. Like, <laughs> like That so actually might be the least trans... They're, trans- they're like, tipping. That, now it's clear that's that they're That's a little too far. They're, like, yeah. making jokes about how, like, obvious they are with their bullshit. That's yeah. so, like, ugh. I mean, I know, right, guys? Because right. at this point, the they're other- being like, Wizard of Oz and the Odyssey, it's all of our films, right? Yeah. And an interviewer asked them, uh, you know, Dave Van Ronk, the famous folk singer, who many people consider like the Bob Dylan who never made it, he has an album called Inside Lewin Davis. And on the cover, there's a cat like with him. Did Inside that, Dave Van Gogh. What does yeah. that mean? And they were like, that doesn't mean anything. Oh, In fact, that's fucking our, cool. Our art designer pointed out in post production. Did you guys know? Did you guys know you put a cat in the movie and there's a cat on the album cover? And we were like, "What a cool coincidence!" No <laughs> way. Like, they actually, they actually said that. They well, actually, like, okay. We didn't no, the quote the is, um, 
Let me find the quote. Let me find the quote. That's fucking hilarious. The quote is, we hadn't even noticed the cat on Van Rock's cover until we completed shooting and the art director pointed out the coincidence. No way. No No fucking way. Like, it's, he literally is playing in the same, at the same time at the, uh, the Greenwich Village music scene. Like, the, the clubs are actually like gaslight and stuff. Like, it, it, they're literally pulling from history. Yes. And then they're Oh, acting. for sure. Uh, the Irish guys who sing sea shanties, which, by the way, I think this is pretty sharp. They each have a different cream-colored cable-knit sailor sweater, but mm-hmm. each sweater is unique, if you notice. The knitting pattern is different on each of the four. They have, like... And that was a signature of the Clancy Brothers, who are a real pop folk like quatrology during this time um how i how sweet would this have been dude uh according to imdb trivia although there was talk of nominating please mr kennedy for best original song oscar the academy was barred to do so by the fact that it is actually an amalgam of melodies and components of other famous folk novelty songs. It's such a bizarre. So I just, isn't that all music? Uh, I just I mean, love I, the, the idea that they wrote this movie about selling out and a guy who doesn't want to sell out and the most sell out song, the Academy Awards are like, that should win the Oscar. And you're like, yeah, exactly. Motherfuckers. This movie's yeah. about you too. Like this movie yeah. is about the funniness of, I think awards in Hollywood as well. Yeah, absolutely it is. Uh, this was not shot by Roger Deakins, who's shooting no, Skyfall. that's an important point. Uh, Far he inferior film. Sorry, <clears throat> Bond fans. Uh, he, of course, Bruno uh, Dumbon, I think is how you say his name, was Del the Bonnell, guy. I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was nominated for the Oscar for Best Cinematography, yeah. uh, and it, which is his, it was his fourth nomination in 13 years. <laughs> I just want to, uh, pulling this from MD right now, Deakins, who is British, has yeah. been has been not nominated fourteen times more than that now. Uh, five of those films for the Coens. So it's just like any they'll just take anybody yeah. who's like they'll Lauded, always make them polished. like it's just crazy to me how like yes cinematography is a great art. There are people who are like your big hitters like the you know the Elswitz and the you know the Deacons. But if you get to shoot a uh, coen brothers movie you are at least getting nominated yeah yeah but you probably won't win for some reason not hail caesar but that's a topic for tomorrow um yeah they hated working with the cats the trainer warned them cats are can't be trained really and i just love they have said that they have tons of b-roll of cats doing different things than they wanted the cat to do if quote if anyone's interested in that are you kidding me Coen Brothers caliber footage of cats just fucking around. Everyone's interested in I that. I want to see it's all the of internet, that. man. It's the internet. They Go also said that even the trained vulture they worked with while making True Grit was more trainable than the cats. <laughs> um, although the bird of prey had been quote, I mean by vulture standards, probably a stupid vulture. <laughs> I bet that how was can, Joel. That, that how was, can that you determine that, like Joel? Joel? Yeah, that's yeah. definitely that's a very Joel. Thing that's a Joel to thing to say. He's like fucking dunk on this vulture right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a few things they did. Still part of how do you do that? Less trivia, but I thought they didn't play a lot of crazy tricks. They kept it pretty transparent most of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, which is not 
crazy for the Coen brothers. Uh, and we've kind of already talked about in past, you know, episodes, like what they do, you know, choosing to shoot inside the (gasps) line and stuff like that. They do something where all apartment hallways and front doors are framed as vanishing points in this movie. Yeah. And the reason I think they do that because some, like thematically or symbolically, uh, there's only one way to go and vanishing points operate. If you remember your first art class, it's like the first thing they teach you. They're diagonals that lead to a point in the frame, like usually center frame. If you think if you're looking down a road or something like that. So it focuses your eye to the center of the void. And if you're going to look at hallways and front doors as entrances and exits and journeys in this movie, there's only one way to go in and center or out and toward you. And that kind of gives relevance to like, it's almost like the filmmakers or the framing is trying to say to Llewellyn, like, go here, go away from here. Uh, it also gives the opportunity for some good visual gags, like people trying to shuffle past each other in a way too narrow uh, yeah. corridor. But also like the fact that he going. doesn't get, he doesn't do things. He goes where he thinks he's supposed to go. Yeah. It's just, uh, um, I don't know how much it was yeah. intentional, but they clearly were getting, mo- they do it multiple times. So they're clearly yeah. like, or it as a motif of this Del film, it could be the cinematographer. I mean, it's location. Strategy. You you have yeah. to find those hallways, which yeah. maybe they're more. I haven't lived in New York. Uh, well, so it's a trope of present, folk but. life in the '60s that everyone lived in a shitty, unbelievably small Greenwich Village apartment. Yeah, so I think that's Tenement also a running living. visual joke. Yeah, exactly. Um, Bud Grossman, the horrible shit he says, is based on the real Al Grossman did say that to Mary Travers: "Stay out of the sun," uh, as in as in your skin is too dark. Oh, um, as in Peter so that's Paul and based Mary. on a real story. Yeah, Mary Travers of Peter Paul and Mary. Sorry. Wow, that's that's a uh, that's rough. But it's like to realize folk music, which is all about authenticity and love, or whatever. Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah, the producer was still your classic douchebag producer. You know? Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the we reason Peter Paul and Mary was brought up, I think I mentioned it early. Dave Von Gronk auditioned mm-hmm. for Peter Paul and Mary. Uh, yes. when Albert Grossman, Grossman was and forming him yeah. and was or rejected for being too uncommercial. Yeah. Uncommercial. So yeah. when Llewellyn turns Bud down, it's like a super stupid move. You know? Speaking like, of auditions, uh, some interesting people who auditioned for the role of Llewellyn Davis, Casey Affleck, and uh, definitely wouldn't have been as good as Oscar Isaac. I see I'm, the appeal. He's got I see some the appeal tortured soul, soul or whatever. The, setting his canceledness aside, but I still think Oscar Isaac's better. Uh, Michael Fassbender, I don't see, too confident. Same reasoning on Ryan Reynolds' audition for Lewin Davis. I don't really see that. And Connor Oberst. Of oh, um, a, a, the lead singer of Bright Eyes. Bright Eyes. The guy sounds like he's Bright underwater. Eyes. Yeah. He's like, Spoiler. Bright Eyes is like my oasis. Yeah. Guilty yeah. pleasure. I mean, he's not bad, but it just. Oh, it would, dude. Bowl of oranges. To, yeah. Arc there's of some time. good tracks in there, man. Definitely it's lyrics mostly, but I'm a lyrics man. so <clears throat> Yeah. Sunrise, Sunset. I love that. It's a waltz. Oh, um, sunrise, Sunset makes me want to hang myself. But like Great. his voice is so specific. He's like a, he's almost like he's his own Dylan in the way of like, well, that sounds like him. That's got to be Connor Obers. Do like, you think Oscar Isaac and Adam Driver on the set of Star Wars ever look at each other and like, go like hey, man, remember man. inside? Llewyn Davis, remember making like sophisticated challenges. Remember when we were kicking around with yeah. JT? 
Anyway, put your cape on. We got to get back to sad. Yeah, anyway, we're going to... Don't blast me into space, m- dear, please, Mr. Dear Kennedy. Dear Mr. Kylo Ren. And isn't Kennedy, isn't Kennedy the name of one of the Star Wars producers? Yeah, Kathleen Kennedy. So oh, Kathleen. the universe right now, the canon of the universe. Oh, my God. Oh, my um, God. It's a conspiracy theory. It's a... They knew who they were going to cast. The Coen brothers knew who they were going to cast for Star Wars. Yeah. All right, dude. I, I think that's it. Here. Yeah, I think that is it. What a long one. Might be our longest. Um, I think No Country was approaching three hours, but we're like 2.15. Whew. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks well, for listening. Well, that makes everyone. sense to me. Like, if I had to predict before the whole show ran, hey, which one's going to be the longest episode? No Country for Old Men. Don't you think? Probably. Yeah. I think so. I mean, we take it- as long to say the movie than it takes to watch the movie. I, I still don't understand why. We sometimes pepper stuff in. And yet you can tell we're both talking as fast as we can. Yeah, but I mean, it's just because like, just go watch the movie how... and then skip the first half. But we've <laughs> both gotten the impression that we know Coen Brothers Brothers are going to go super long. So unlike frame rates where we're like, oh man, yeah, yeah, man. We're like, okay, Coen Brothers Brothers, so we're going to do this, we're going to talk okay, about this, okay. then we're going to get here. Yeah, the, it's you talk to, now? Okay, I got to talk now. Yeah, we're very, we're actually not through, that man. irate and uh, like fast moving and normal. Yeah. Like we're usually pretty laid back guys, I'd say. But, not uh, for Cohen. For some reason on podcasts, you and I are just, con- we're just a million <clears throat> miles a second. It's weird. Anyway. Anywho, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Hope that enriched your experience with Inside Lewin Davis. That is the point of the show, um, to sort of uh, make you love the things you already love, but in a different way or even more so. And uh, I just want to say on the podcast, because I've only said it on Twitter, that as you probably noticed, because you're listening to the podcast, uh, other than off hours, everything Small Beans is still going full force, and we still very much use your patronage towards new projects so yeah keep and we're making new stuff if we're you want got new a new stuff. video series coming out soon-ish. yeah and that's uh, all we gotta give us audio, money that's all uh, radio play it's gonna be crazy or uh you know if you can't afford it or it's holiday times and, and times are tight if you want to support the pod go to small beans audio on itunes give us five stars and a nice comment <laughs> or just listen that's also fine but you know everything's fine just you know, uh, we never self plug, so I f- it's been long enough. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Numbers are slipping a little. You know, if you can spare a buck a month, get back in there. Maybe you were a patron before and you tr- had to drop off. Get back in there. Get back in the mix. We'll make some cool shit. Yeah. That's Coen Brothers, brothers. I predict next episode will not be as long. No, I predict that as well. This was a joy, Michael. As always. Oh yeah, as always. All right. Bye bye now. Bye, buddy.